welcome to another episode of Block Talk, presented by Theater in the Now. I'm your host, as always, Michael Block. Now is the time to help us out, and there are so many ways you can. Subscribe, leave us a review, share your favorite episodes, become a sponsor, or do all of the above. And as always, follow me on Instagram at MichaelBlockTalk, on Twitter at BlockTalkNYC, and visit theaterinthenow.com for latest news, reviews, and interviews. to us from our neighbors up above my next guest has been a drag staple as one half of the smash youtube channel drag coven say a to courtney conquers hello <laughs> that was courtney i liked it hello i love corniness corny puns i love they're the best it makes us I smile do. and laugh i love a pun i'm How terrible at them so i have to really i really appreciate them when other people get good ones in i i try i'm i'm, I'm, a, I'm a writer by trade so i'm i'm, I'm decent at this mm-hmm. How have you been? It's been a it's been almost a year since we chatted. No, we talked for the Canada's Drag Race episode, and it's been a while. I feel like that was a thousand years ago. It it, it feels that way too. But one of my favorite parts about recording that episode with you is when I said on that podcast that isn't it going to be a great thing like if Priyanka wins, and you got emotional thinking about Priyanka winning. Yep. Plot twist. Priyanka. I knew it. I felt it. I could. I could tell she was going to win. How did you feel about this? How did you feel about the season? I loved it. I I absolutely loved it. Um, I have, and I I always preface this and they, they, everybody knows it. I have a really complicated relationship with drag race just because I'm super hyper analytical and academic and I have anxiety and Mm -hmm. I'm scattered. Um, so there were not things, it was not free of critique of course, for me, but it never is. And that wasn't specific to like Drag Race Canada itself. Um, and I think that like finding things to critique in your favorite stuff is just a really good way to like hold people involved, accountable and like yeah. evolve for the better. So, um, uh, but I, I just thought that it was a season that like, I saw a lot of people online saying that was really fun. I'm reinvested or that was really silly. There were a lot of like really overly campy borderline stupid, like elements that either weren't on the American show or haven't been on the American show in a while, but used to be. And so it was almost this weird thing where like drag race Canada was brand new, but had the sense of nostalgia that I think really with people. And a lot of the people that they put on, I didn't know everybody beforehand, so I can't like speak to them from before I met them, but a lot of the pe- the girls that they put on are just such quality people Yeah, and they're really good artists and they're always like working and changing and they're fun. And so I, I just, it was such a home run season for me because like, it was my country for the first time. It was my friends. It was, you know, people whose drag I admired, but didn't know it was nostalgia, but it was also new. But then my best friend was up on the judging panel and I was like crying over her because I was so proud. And it was just such a home run season for me watching it. And like, yeah, I don't know. I just loved it. I just, and hearing, there was also a a satisfying like moment where I have seen all of these really hardworking Canadian drag artists watch the American show and fangirl over the American Mm -hmm. queens and open at their shows and appreciate their art and ask me, oh, you've met so-and-so. Is she nice? I just want her to be nice. And, And we've seen, just because of the weird space we occupy with traveling so much, we've seen them be kind of like fans of the other girls on the show for so long. And then suddenly Drag Race Canada was happening and these people that we love were on it. 
And our American queen friends were texting us being like, so-and-so is so fantastic. Do you know her? What's she like? Oh my yeah. God. I wish I could do a tour with da, 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 da. And I was just like, this is so full circle, but like also yeah. completely backwards and so beautiful because, oh my God, like you're getting your girling over them now. And like, I just found it so satisfying and so lovely. And it was uh, also the pandemic had just started and I was like crazy hyper emotional anyways. <laughs> so like right. literally every single episode made me cry because I just yeah. was like so thrilled to watch people celebrating and consuming and getting to know about and learn more about Canadian drag because Canadian drag is really fucking good. Yeah. And, oh, the, the whole thing was just. It, it, it. it was a really fun season. Um, the cast was incredible. Uh, there were some questionable decisions. Um, obviously <laughs> they have made a big change on the judges panel. Mm -hmm. um, but overall, I, I, I do agree. I think it did reinvent the series in a way because yeah. it was a fresh take. Um, because it is the only American or the English speaking um, uh, franchise that doesn't have RuPaul. Yeah. Um, Which I don't even, I, I don't even think I've ever even heard, even with like production rumors and people we know and stuff, like I can't remember why RuPaul was not on it. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 I think. And I'm sure someone knows it's not me, but also like yeah. selfishly, like no offense to like Ru or anybody on the American team, but like it made it more authentically Canadian. And it did. It absolutely did. It gave my friend a really cool opportunity and I love that for her. So yeah. I was kind of personally thrilled. Um, yeah. And again, I remember um, on our podcast and I think, but you, you were, you knew results, but you didn't say anything. And I'm like, I, I remember gushing over juice box and be like, Oh my God, I can't wait. And first out. <laughs> I say justice. For I literally Juicebox. sat here while the whole time you were saying it, and my brain was just like screaming, like just like a tea kettle, because I was just like, "Who's gonna tell her?" Yeah, um, justice for Juicebox. Like, he's an love, angel. I love, love, love lemon, but oh, completely. But it's not yeah. about that. You can. It's not mutually exclusive. You can love yeah. and still like have. Yeah, your that 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 was. I was like, really. And that that was the first time I was like, okay, maybe this judges panel is not good. I don't. I don't. I'm gonna turn on them, but. They, they got better that everything got better but no i it was priyanka season she was a superstar mm -hmm. from start to finish um it's whoever follows in her footsteps they're gonna those are she's giant amazing. shoes to fill she's so phenomenal i could yeah. rave about priyanka forever honestly yeah. and like is she nice she, in person she's wonderful she's <laughs> yeah. so wonderful I, priyanka she is, is... she's someone i would want to just have coffee with and just talk to for Completely. hours i'm sure um, she would do that too oh yeah for sure and she's I, I said this on, we did a little, like throughout the season, we did a little series where we got to interview right. whoever was eliminated that week. Um, and at the end we did Priyanka and her and I had this really like frank and candid conversation about how, like when we first met, we like actually didn't get along and we like fought and stuff and how the way that that, that each of us handled was a really big learning experience for the other, per particularly me, I think, because um, and, and I tell people this story because it just speaks to like how she is not only a good drag queen, but a really professional artist and a really awesome person, yeah. um, of the kind that I think is like a little bit rare right now. Um, and I, and which is why I could sing her praises I, above, beyond being a good drag queen. I could sing her praises till the cows come yeah. home because she, I, I don't even remember what the comment was. She made some comment drunk on the mic hosting one night when she was brand new, fresh in drag. And it was directed at somebody I loved and I went mama bear on her. And there was sort of a, 
it was the kind of complicated situation where what was said did not come from a place of anything to do with gender, but the way that it, the timing of how it landed and who it was directed at unbeknownst to her had really gendered impact implications in a public space um, where in a community where frankly non-cis male people are still not always treated as being super super welcome and quite as 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 welcome as the rest of everybody else right so um and and was that her intention fuck no absolutely not not in any way um but impact is more important than intention absolutely and i went off and i I didn't talk to her first because my experience at that time with a couple people, a couple just bad apples in Toronto, Toronto is amazing and I fucking love it. But you know, a couple bad apples was that reaching out and trying to talk to people didn't get you anything. They would immediately take it to Facebook and then call you a bitch and slander you and it would be harassment and it would be crazy. So I immediately talked about her instead of to her and was like, this is not fucking cool. Like if you're going to be a new queen and you're going to get on the mic and you're going to host and you're going to say things like this, here are the A, B, and C ways that it's a problem. And I expected that she wouldn't see it because who the fuck was I? And I expected that she wouldn't respond because again, who the fuck was I? I was the girl that was always just whining about gender. Like this is however many years ago. And I expected that if she did see it, she would do what others had done and she would be confrontational and unkind. And I got pre-angry and pre-defensive because those were the only ways that I'd been treated for the last year or so when I said, hey, you can't just say whatever the fuck you want to non-cis male people in drag. It really impacts our experience. Absolutely. And we have we have a right to be in the community too. Like we are also queer people. And Priyanka blew every expectation I had out of the water. She was fucking amazing. She was super kind. Immediately, I felt like an asshole because I'd been an I had reason, but I'd been an asshole. Um, And immediately she commented and asked me really insightful questions. And she was like, I, you know what? I didn't, this isn't what I meant, but I didn't think of the impact it would have or the language I used. And I think you're completely right. Um, she was really self-reflexive. She was very open. She was calm, cool, and collected in a way that I know and openly have trouble being because I'm very fired up all the time. Um, and she literally, she has this way of like stopping and you can see her do it. She'll stop and think about what a person has said or what, the, the context and like who they are and what you're talking about. And you can see that she's on like considerate mode. Like you can yeah. see that she is under, she's trying to really understand you. And that's a skill and a communication facet that I think a lot of people don't even realize or understand exists, let alone actually work on and try to practice. And the fact that somebody who, you know, heads it, usually it's drag queen says bad thing about women which again, that wasn't fully the scenario, but um, I have any kind of defensive reaction. I get told that, you know, I'm, I'm trash and whatever insults for the next three weeks. The fact that she came in and asked questions and -hmm. wanted to hear more and wanted to understand. And she immediately offered up an apology. Um, She didn't hold it against me that I had been defensive because she said, I know you've been through such and such related experiences. Immediately, she was like, I totally get why you're being defensive and I don't blame you. I would be doing the same thing. And I was like, oh, and I had no idea what to do with I had no idea how to respond. I remember calling a friend of mine who had also been like quite fired up about it. And like, part of it was hurt because we had really liked her and she was new sure. and we were like, oh, who's this new fucking queen? That's so cool. And it's always really disappointing when someone that you like think you're going to like turns out to like right. 
hold views that either hurt you or that go against your own views. Um, and we were worried that that's what we were discovering. And it turned out that wasn't it at all. And I just, I called her and I was like, she was really nice to me. <laughs> and she was like, what? And I was like, Priyanka was really fucking nice to me when I yelled at her. And I don't, and she was like, so what's the problem? And I was like, I don't know how to respond. <laughs> right. I don't know what to do with that. Like, and she, and we ended up talking and, and we've literally gotten along ever since. And I, and I have not a single bad thing to say about Priyanka because that was such a rare experience for me as sure. a person who, you know, got a lot of really weird gendered misplaced backlash or who was often like denigrated for standing up for myself or others or what. And I'm not saying that I was never an asshole. We all know that I can scream fucking as the day is long, but like, it was just such a different reaction that I had not in a million years anticipated. And it really made me step back and go, Oh yeah. Some people communicate. What a gift. Yeah, like, yeah. It was, I mean, it was so I was so grateful. Could you imagine if that happened more often in our community? Wouldn't it be a gift? I literally like ever since then have been telling people that Priyanka is one of like the most considerate and like best communicators that I've, yeah. I've ever met. And I've seen her do it in other situations too, where, you know, whatever drag drama in the dressing room, someone's mad at someone who's mad at someone else. And then someone gets mad at Pri. And I can, and I literally have like heard her turn around to a person who's just yelled at her and been like, are you okay? Yeah. Like, and just, it's just a level of consideration that she does a really good job of keeping at the forefront. And I think it makes her a better public figure. I think it makes her a better, a more professional artist. I think it makes sure. her relate to her fans and them relate to her better. Um, I could lit, I could sing her praises forever. Yeah. And I, I, I'm sure it's weird. <laughs> no, cause it, it's what, it, what it sounds like is she, she has very much like a Bianca, um, uh, uh, personality where there's a personality on television you're getting the goofy character you're getting the shady quips but there's a real human behind the makeup yeah and she is a goof like the the random shit that comes out of her mouth like that's real and that's very her and I'm always yeah are you talking about but then on top of it like yeah there's this like baseline really thoughtful element underneath all of it that I think is that I think is rare and that I think people who have it it, it's also a kind of vulnerability so I think it often absolutely shown off a lot um and yeah it had just been so long since I had like had anybody present that to me that I fall I have never eaten my words so fast I was like oh no (laughs) yeah now what and 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 the now what was that I responded to her calmly and thoughtfully and she was like you know what I think you're right um you know next time if you have an issue like just talk to me and I was like you're fully right I should have just shot you a message and here I am reading you like a dumbass like so it was and that was my first um my first like real interaction with her yeah and I it it's such a weird story because like, it sounds like we like had this fight and would have gotten off on the wrong foot, but it was actually like lovely. And I appreciated it so much. And so ever since then, I've been like the biggest Priyanka fan. Like I, I love her. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and she's your official first queen of the North. Well, Heck yeah. second, second behind Brooklyn. She, want, ask, yeah. she wants that title. <laughs> I'm excited to learn about you and everything you've accomplished. Cause let's be real. You've, you. you've accomplished a lot. So we always start from the beginning and where are you from? <laughs> Trick question. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I, depending on how you look at it, I am from everywhere and nowhere. I'm a military brat, so I don't mm-hmm. have a hometown. Um, before I graduated high school, I think I'd moved like 13 times. Um, so I am Canadian, but uh, we did so many postings that like I lived in all, almost all of the provinces. Um, mm-hmm. And then we also did postings in England and Scotland when I was a child. 
which I loved. Oh, I would go back to Scotland in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, and then when I graduated and went to university, but was still very much like summers with my family and, you know, barely 18, mm-hmm. still a kid. Um, my parents lived in Colorado, Alaska and Italy. And then later on, they lived in Germany. So um, the process of like visiting home, quote unquote, for me sure. has always been an interesting one because like home is always different. So yeah, trick question. I'm from nowhere, but, but <laughs> so, right now I'm outside Toronto. So you've, you've been able to see the world essentially. Yeah. Um, much like I said, I had a really complicated relationship with drag race. I also have a really complicated relationship with the, the nature of, uh, how I grew up because mm-hmm. on one side, the military is not my favorite. Sure. Uh, and being a queer woman with my legal last name is also um, a cop rank. Mm-hmm. My legal last name is Constable. So I'm a queer woman with a cop rank for a name who was raised in the military. So, I mean, weird. Yeah. But anyways, um, I, I'm not a big fan of the military in the way that it often just family is not... The military is not a friendly institution for a regular happy family life. Um, with that said, I, you know, my parents are super open and like we were, they were not super, super, super strict. I had a really, really, really enjoyable childhood. And I have to acknowledge that the only reason we got a lot of the really cool experiences that sort of made me the very like worldly, social, adventurous person that I am are because we traveled within that military context. Mm-hmm. So it was difficult because I literally left everybody I ever love and had to remake my friends every 10 months. And I went to a bazillion schools, which I'm sure impacted education somehow. (laughs) Um, Not that I was paying attention anyways, but um, at the same time, I got to live in different places and I got to refine my social skills and I got to travel the world. And I got to, I've been to like every castle in the UK because my parents were like, oh, well, they can learn the fractions they already know, or they can visit every castle in the UK. time that we're going to be here. So they'd pull us out of school and we would do that. So I got a really good like social and cultural education out of traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, and that I'm, I'm super grateful for. There's no way I would be in drag or doing any of the shit we do if I wasn't this overly social, super outgoing person. And I wouldn't have that if I wasn't this like awkward military kid. So, so when, when did drag enter your life? Uh, <laughs> I, my first my very first ever exposure to drag was I was living in Cold Lake, Alberta on a military base. It's, which is a frozen hellhole. Um, <laughs> and I was like six or seven and I was chronically ill. I get, I have severe chronic migraines and they used to just make me like, just wipe me out. Just make me sick. Yeah. Like I would just have a fever of 117 and they'd be like, cute. Why are you, what, why is this <laughs> happening? How are you alive? So anyways, I'd stay home from school and my mom would have like like the trashy daytime talk shows on. Yeah. And I remember my very first time seeing drag queens was Lady Bunny, RuPaul, and I'm pretty sure Barla Jean Merman um, on some trashy daytime talk show. One of the big ones of the 90s. It was yeah. sort of been like 93, 94. Um, and they were, they were basically tooting and booting people's looks, but there was a problematic <laughs> gendered element with some language we're not going to repeat here because it was the early 90s. Shocker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was my first ever exposure to drag. So from there, I became a competitive dancer and a lot of the choreographers were some of the first out gay people that I ever met. Sure. And 
you know, you have a group of 12 year olds in adorable sparkly little dresses and you're a gay man who hangs out with drag queens in your spare time but doesn't talk about it. Uh, it is adorable to put them <laughs> dancing to, you know, Supermodel by right. Raw or like Cover, Cover Girl, put that bass in your walk and it's like sassy little 12 year olds in like dolly dresses. There was a lot of that. <laughs> so then drag music and people who adopted from drag culture and kind of introduced it to me was so it's this very like weird secondhand filtered down. But but it made us know what drag was because, yeah. they, you know, they would say, oh, my friend who's a drag queen does this dance move. You know, she's going to come in and teach it or she's going to, you know, I'm going to learn it from her and we're going to put it in the dance. Um, and then I went to university and I, the only drag shows I was really exposed to in university were kind of like switch shows where it's like staff at the bar who are not actual drag sure. artists. They were really not my thing. Mm-hmm. And it kind of distanced me from drag for a little bit because people always thought that when I was this like weird, quirky, didn't fit in with the other straight girls and we can't figure out why. Cause you know, I was a big fucking queer and nobody told me. Um, right. So um, they, they didn't really appeal to me. And people were always surprised by that because like I was always making costumes and taking spirit week way too far and like making everybody roll their eyes because like I was the only one who dressed up for a party theme or whatever. And they thought that it would be like right up my alley and it, and it wasn't. Um, so I kind of didn't seek drag out again until um, later on in my master's. My A friend of mine who used to cut my hair was dabbling in drag and he was trying to get into the drag scene. And so I would go out with him mm-hmm. and I met our sort of local scene Um, and they were, it was phenomenal, but also like drag went through this weird thing right before it got really popularized where like, not necessarily everybody was who, who was in the queer industry or in the queer community wanted to like be part of it or do it, or they might want to consume it, but they didn't want to participate or, and in, uh, I lived in Ottawa, which is Canada's capital. And people always joke that it's like the most boring city. Like it's it's the most small town city. Like it's it's this big fancy city, but like nothing crazy really happens mm-hmm. outside of politics. So um, there weren't a whole lot of queer venues. There were a few, but some of them got shut down while we were out. And like um, the scene was very, it was good, but it was small. And when I walked in, and I think this was kind of by accident and just who I happened to go with, and I think there was more diversity elsewhere because I know there were queen, there were drag kings existing somewhere in the ether. Sure. Um, but uh, you know they were getting booked less as per usual. Uh, and I, my experience was really I walked in and it was like a lot of white cis gay men and, and there was nobody really like me. So I kind of stood to the side and waited for my friend to be done. And I was glad to be there and I had a nice time and everybody was nice. But it wasn't. I was a guest. Like it wasn't. I didn't walk in and go, oh yeah, this is for me. Like sure. Um, so again, I kind of distanced from drag and I didn't, you know, when, when I'd meet the drag Kings, I'd be thrilled to see queer women and I'd be thrilled to see more drag and, and women doing things that were related to what I thought in like sort of my private thought processes was with me being like, am I weird or am I queer? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what does gender mean to me as I sit and study it in an academic context without having confronted <laughs> my own gender or queerness in any manner? Um, so I, what I saw were amazing, talented queer women who did awesome drag, but who were by virtue of just what drag was at that time. This is almost seven years ago or well, probably closer to nine, actually. Um, it was really limiting. And they were being sort of put in a box of like, okay, but if you're going to be a drag king, you got to be a man's man. And people then, your, your brain jumps to hypermasculinity. And for a lot of people, hypermasculinity means aggressive, 
aggression borderlining right. on like violence <laughs> and like hypersexuality. And again, as someone who grew up in a military context, those things just do not fucking appeal to me. No. So when I wanted to part, I'd love, I loved watching the numbers. They were amazing artists and, you know, it was, it was nothing about their art, but if, if I, it had never occurred to me that like I would do drag because the only option presented to me was putting on hypermasculinity, which was something I wanted to like right. avoid with a 10 foot pole. So again, for like the third or fourth time, I kind of abandoned drag and was like, well, it's, you know, it's cute. I like it. I support it. It's for other people. And then we got into Lady Gaga and we started cross-playing and we started going to concerts and the people we met at concerts were drag queens and drag race was happening in the background. And I just didn't watch it because I didn't, I was a full-time student. I was a full-time, I was working full-time as well. Um, and we'd show up in these costumes. We'd basically show up in full fucking drag. I had right. no idea that women quote unquote can do drag. Meanwhile, there's this rich history of like non-cis male people in drag before all of this, but I didn't have access to it. I didn't know. Even within my academic studies, all of the texts and materials and experiences and um, interviews and books all dealt with white cis male gay men right. who did female drag. And that was all that was presented. And again, the other stuff is out there. If I'd kept digging, I'd have found it. But when you're dealing on a timeline, you're really only trying to survive what you're you're actually set there yeah. to do. So, um, so I just didn't realize it was available. I didn't find it and I didn't know. And so I'm sitting there thinking, no, I'm just a girl in a costume. And these Queens were going, you watch Drag Race, right? You must watch Drag Race. It's right up your alley. And I'd be like, no, I've heard of it, but I don't know it. And they were all like, what? <laughs> you're basically doing what so and then we started meet like we met Courtney Ack and Willem before I'd ever been to a drag race show or before sure. I'd ever seen their seasons because I met them through doing random gaga shit so the more that that happened and the more that people were like holy shit how do you not have more involvement in drag I uh Lady Gaga broke her hip I got sick uh, I got bronchitis for like six weeks. I finally, a friend of mine went, okay, you're watching Drag Race because your ass has nothing better to do. <laughs> Sent me all of the links on Put Locker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and because streaming and all this stuff, it wasn't on Netflix yet. It didn't have a hope right. of being on Netflix. Way too gay for Netflix. Um, and it's amazing how much stuff changes very quickly because it hasn't even been a decade. But um, right? wild. So that I motored through, I went all the way back to the beginning and motored up to where season six was airing. And by that point, I, it, it had all the elements I had liked about drag, but it was cool because it was, it was showing me more than what I had seen in my very small local scene where I had only gotten sort of dipped my toe in and, and had a nice fine time, but was getting a really limited view of what drag was. Sure. So, um, but it was also always confusing to people because I had experienced local drag before I had experienced drag race. And at that time it was mostly, especially if you were a girl, the other way around. Right. So, um, from there, I mean, I got better. Jamie and I had no hobby anymore because Lady Gaga broke her hip and stopped touring. And we were like, well, <laughs> fuck now do we, we were both in a weird place in our lives where we were like, I think we're supposed to be adults. And like, grow up and get married and like pop out some kids, but we don't want to. So uh, what do we do now? And that's what all the Gaga stuff had been about. And I had sure. a, like a drag or a Lady Gaga YouTube channel where my friend, another friend and I made like silly dumb skits and I had written my master's thesis on her and we got to meet her however many, a, a bunch of times as a result of all that. And when it ended, I was like, you realized <laughs> in the face and now I'm wildly unfulfilled working my nine to five job that I didn't want. 
And so that's when we decided, Jamie was like, well, the battle of battle of the seasons, the battle of the seasons tour is coming to Ottawa. I'll come down there. Why don't we go to the show? And we were like, yeah, that sounds really good. That sounds like fun. Well, you can't go to a drag show in your jeans. Like, what do we, okay, we'll just do everything we did for Lady Gaga. So the, the stuff that we were originally known for as like, quote unquote, drag coven, the gifts, the documenting the show, at least bits and pieces of the show, if not the whole guy right. thing. Um, the hand, yeah, handmaking the queen's gifts, handmaking our own looks, cosplaying people, um, traveling far and wide to access the shows. If the shows are not coming to you, all of that was stuff we'd already been doing in the Lady Gaga stuff. Sure. And the payoff had been amazing. She's a wonderful person. And so is her team. And she really like respected her fans, like hustle essentially, um, to, to, because it was, it was this own little community. It was this niche fan base. And so we literally just took what we'd been doing there and learned there and slapped it on drag. And then we're like, oh, no one else is doing this. And everyone's looking at us like, we're really fucking weird. Um, And then the first people to sort of validate that like, hey, this is actually really cool. And I don't think you're fucking weird were, um, it was Alaska Thunderfuck essentially. Of course, (laughs) of course. And Adore and Bianca and Jinx were like very supportive. Jiggly right from the get-go. Michelle Visage, very supportive. And as we engaged with drag more, we got into my local scene. I started performing and they were, oh my God, the people who were there back in the day, I performed for free on this two by two (sighs) stage in the basement of a Thai restaurant that smelled like noodles for free. (laughs) Like nobody got paid. Um, The first thing I did ever, my first number was um, at a drag king's birthday party um it was it was amazing there were three people in our audience like it was so wonderful and the more that we had this really unexpected amazing validation from these artists on television that we never expected to meet let alone um be paid attention to because we didn't realize that what we were doing what we were doing at that time would be completely commonplace now like everybody right. kind of does it and I'm, I'm not gonna sit here and say that we like started drag cosplay because that's, <laughs> that's not true we just did it a lot at a at a larger magnitude than anyone sure. at the time was doing it um so it stuck out but we didn't realize it was gonna stand out so we were completely fucking naive to any of it we also didn't realize i don't know how anything about the spatial politics of drag bars and how queer women are often treated. So we were completely unprepared and right. we hadn't confronted our own queerness yet and figured out, I didn't know the word for pansexual. I was just like, I don't know. I'm not straight, but I'm not gay. What does that mean? Like, I didn't know, you know, like I remember the first time I told, I said the word, like, I think I said pan romantic asexual to Jamie. And she like, I just saw this like look in her <laughs> eyes of like, fuck that's it like because we didn't know what we were doing it started right. as a joke it was literally a wordplay with Bianca and Alaska because they were making fun of us and I was like being sassy back like it because they called it Bianca said my favorite drag hags are here hags are witches which is traveling a mm-hmm. coven so I was like yeah we're the drag coven and they were like wait that's good and I was like I made it up it's not anything it's not like, <laughs> they were like well what do you do like what does the drag coven do and I was like that's not a thing I'm I was joking I'm just not funny like <laughs> Um, and that's how it happened is that, um, we had taken these pictures purely for nostalgia purposes. Um, and just because that's what we'd always done with Gaga and people don't talk about how chronic migraines and anxiety and depression and like neurological disorders can cause memory loss very often. Mm-hmm. We both cope with that. So, and we're both really nostalgic people. Me, cause I was moving all the time. Jamie is an only child. So like her friends mean a lot. And, um, so we had this obsession already with documenting things for nostalgia. And then the sure. so we did that and the Queens were like, why are you doing that? Nobody, because also drag race was not, and, and the popularization of drag was not quite the machine it is now seven right. years ago. 
so we walked in with nice cameras and they were like, nobody takes pictures of my shows. Like, why would you bother? What are you? And it wasn't, don't take pictures of my shows. It was, oh, I mean, thanks, but like, why do you care? And we were like, why wouldn't I care? It was really right. good. Like, and we didn't get it and they didn't get it and nobody understood what was happening. And we made this word joke and Alaska went, well, what are you going to do with the pictures? And we were like, I don't know, put them on Facebook. And she was like, well, what if I want the pictures? And we were like, I, what's your email address? Like, I don't know. <laughs> and she was like, why wouldn't you put them on Instagram and like put the videos on YouTube and people can watch them because not everybody can come to shows. And I was like, that's actually a really good idea. But like, I don't know, probably not since I'm busy. Like, and so we, we kind of just brushed it off and yeah. it turned into the next day as a joke. I was like, yeah, I'm going to make an Instagram account. I'm going to call it dry Kevin. And Jamie's like, yeah, that's good. Like it'll make her, you know, if she she'll never see it in a million years, but it'll make her laugh. So we did. And we put up like a picture of all of us is like, I don't, I don't even remember if it was the first picture, but we put up some kind of picture and we tagged the queens who had been there and we had given her like a sleep mask that we made. Mm-hmm. And so when she saw us pop up, she posted a picture of her wearing it and said like, thanks to the drag coven. And so she was our like first follower. And then it started just kind of snowballing. Absolutely. Because people were like, well, what is this? And we were like, we don't fucking know. (laughs) And that's by the time we saw her next. I mean, also at that show, she had said to me, like, I, again, no knowledge of like women's history and drag at this point. She had said to me, I was dressed like Alaska and she sort of pulled me off to a sidebar and she was like, Hey, like, this is the second time we've seen you now. And your costumes are really cute. Like you look great. Um, I really like your drag. And I was like, Oh, she thinks I'm a boy, I guess. I don't, this isn't drag. I'm not allowed to be in drag. Mm -hmm. I'm a woman and just so naive. And so I kind of stammered and was like, well, I'm not a drag queen. I'm just a girl in a costume. And she literally got so still. And just so serious. And she like put her head on top of, or her hand on top of my head. And she like pushed me down into the chair and she like sat down next to me like this. And she was just like, yeah, I will never hear you discredit yourself like that again. And I was like, hear me where? I don't know you. What? Like, and she was like, I have a feeling you're going, I'm going to see a lot of you guys, which again, I was like, you do? Why? (laughs) What are we doing? Where are we going? Are we going for food? Like, great. Um, and she was like, by the next time I see you, I want you to have done, we had also talked about my Gaga master's thesis. We're uh-huh. both big Gaga nerds. She was right. like, I, I know you do your readings. She was like, I want you to have done the readings, learn about the history. And I want you to be performing because this is not just girl in a costume. And if people tell you that they're wrong. And she kind of like laid into me about how I was like discrediting a lot of things and discrediting what we were doing and my own worth in what we'd kind of tapped into. And I was just like, yes, ma'am. Sorry, ma'am. <laughs> Thanks mom. And, um, and that literally is what made me go, Oh, so I'm not just dressing up like drag Queens. I can, I can do drag. And that yeah. kind of solved the issue for me that I had seen where I had all this undying respect for drag Kings, but I didn't want to do it. I didn't, it didn't resonate with me. I didn't sure. want to dress up like that. And I was like, it was like the whole wide world had blown open. And I was like, oh my God, I can do this kind of drag. I can be, and it, it really related a lot to my queerness. It was what kind of made me realize that like, I could be part of the community, even if, the, even if I was not a lesbian, um, that I could be queer enough, however I was, um, mm-hmm. that I could be part of drag because we've always been part of drag and women in drag are not new. 
regardless of what kind of presentation they're, they're giving you. And that I could sort of, it was this big moment for me where I was feeling unfulfilled and feeling like I wasn't meeting the checkpoints that you're supposed to quote unquote meet after you like finish school. And instead I was recognizing all these things that made me feel like I wasn't fitting in. And like, again, I'm like a cis white girl. Like if I'm not fitting in, imagine fucking how everybody else feels. Like, and I would, and I would think of that and be like, Jesus Christ, like what? Like, and so it kind of made me realize that like, oh, you can just take control of your identity from all of these outside social systems of power and social sources and the media and recommunicate yourself to the world, how you want to be understood and how you want to communicate yourself and, and sure there's backlash, but like, fuck it. And, and that all kind of came from us having this strange side door into drag that almost had nothing to do with drag. And then suddenly here we were and people were telling us, oh yeah, by the way, you're dragging me now. And we were like, <laughs> cool. What? Like, and then, and the more we interacted and the more we learned the backlash came, trust me, but it just, it settled a lot, I think for both of us in terms of what we were doing with our lives and in terms of the skills we wanted to, to hone and where we wanted to live. I literally moved, um, who I am as a person, like it's, you know, even though it was like a bumpy road to get there, like drag literally fucking changed everything. If I hadn't gotten into drag, there could have been a more direct route. That would have been nice. But, (laughs) you know, if I hadn't gotten into drag specifically when I did, I, kid you not, I would probably be married with kids that I was not ready for and just being fully stifled queerness, like miserable. So yeah, that's that's how I got into drag. (laughs) Now, obviously you got to have a drag name. What, what is the origin of your drag name? (laughs) Um, it's, it's a funny story, but it's also actually not, it's not that amusing. Um, it's like random. So my drag name was actually not originally a drag name. Um, Courtney is my legal first name. Um, Conkers came from, so again, I grew up in the military. My dad went on a deployment and things happened, whatever, uninteresting details. Um, Our name was found on some kind of danger, danger, red flag list in the world of military and politics. And they kind of came to us. I also caveat about like the Canadian military versus the Canadian versus the American military. When I say that my dad is of a certain rank and he's in the military, people think that that's very fancy mm-hmm. and that I'm probably, there's always been this drag coven misconception about how like we either have sugar daddies or our daddies are rich because how can <laughs> girls possibly work? The answer sure. is we, we work nine jobs, but um, the Canadian military and its ranking system is not it is the same largely as most, much of the American, but the prestige and the pay grade and the fanciness sure. that comes with the rank is not the same. Mm-hmm. So not that I was hard done by, I, you know, I'll check my privilege, but like, it's not what people think it is. So in the States, whereas a person of my dad's rank who this happened to, like those, their family would have a security detail. Um, mm-hmm. Their wives throwing luncheons for the other military wives would get like a carer from like the base. Like their kids would be driven to school. Literally, we got a call from like NDHQ that was literally just like, I don't know, don't walk anywhere alone at night. Don't walk anywhere alone <laughs> at, at all. Stay in your house at, after dark. And like, you probably shouldn't be on the internet. And I was like, This was happening at a time where I was writing my master's thesis and the nature of my topic, it was about, um, specifically within the realm of Lady Gaga fans, but, um, because remember when she had littlemonsters.com as a social media platform? Oh, yes. Oh, Oh, yes. yes. 
Yes. So it was about how she used that platform and other forms of social media to like engage with fans and start conversations about things like gender as social constructions and how they went from passive consumers of things she was talking about to they could turn themselves into active producers of messages like raising awareness about gender equality um, by recreating what she was doing, but with their own spin and coming from their own like intersection of lived experience. And then she, because she's an angel, she's Mm -hmm. lovely, would consume those things and recommunicate that. So suddenly she was the consumer of a work that began with, and it was this whole, anyways, it was all based in social media. My studies were all with people I was contacting on social media. Like social media was integral to the degree that I was doing. And suddenly the military was like, yeah, you can't be on social media. And I was like, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? So I, and, and by this point I was so over like the military telling me to do anything when I was like 21 and like, my, I no longer wanted to be associated. And I was like, okay, you've had enough of my life. Fucking cut the cord, set me free. Um, so I just changed my name. I don't know why I thought that was good enough. It probably put me at, uh, you know, high risk exposure of some kind, but I was like, fuck it. I don't care. Um, which is a little <laughs> naive and privileged, but, um, so I just decided that I was going to change my name on all social media because we, that distinctive last name wouldn't be there anymore. And if my family was deleting all theirs and most of my family didn't have social media sure. anyways, I was like, fuck it. Now I'm a free agent. Like, so I picked a different last name and my, my friend and I, um, were going through what my name could be because it wasn't a stage name and it wasn't a drag name. I didn't know about drag and it wasn't, it was just, I was, I was just like, well, what the fuck do I call myself now? And it was just a random screen name. And he was like, well, you need, I think you should keep Courtney because I just like it. And you know, you're used to it and people know you buy it for, for the Gaga stuff. But I think that you could have something catchier as a last name and uh, it should be, I don't know, when you're at a loss, just pick words that describe you. What are things you do? You're confident, you're ballsy, you're, you know, you're abrasive, you're, and he starts listing out all these really strong words. Right. And he said confident at some point, he was like, yeah, but Courtney confidence doesn't sound good. Like, that's stupid. Like, and so we started, but he was like, I like the alliteration. And this is a friend of mine who is like borderline, like a, like a crazy genius. So I was like, absolutely. You can pick my screen name for sure. Thank you for putting so much thought into this. Love you. Um, and I fully was just like, I'll go with whatever you choose because I was just so excited that he was so invested. Um, and he started throwing around strong sounding C words that, um, that he thought would like describe me or like communicate a message about me. Um, and it, we couldn't think of anything we liked. And then suddenly he got really high and we were on my balcony in the heat of summer. And he suddenly went, Sam, do you ever just feel like you could conquer the world? It was like purely just because he was high. And then suddenly he just goes, (gasps) and he just turns to me and he goes, that's it. Courtney conquers. And I was just like, (laughs) done. That's it. That's a good story. Because I'd been like, yeah, I could conquer the world. And I don't smoke. I was just like in my feelings. Like I, I'm allergic to smoke. So I was like not even high. I was just like, that's beautiful. Like I'm just emotional. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my. so he said Courtney conquers. And I literally changed everything that night. So then when I got into drag, I didn't have to right. do the work of finding a drag name. So I was always like, well, this is here. That'll do. Like, that's fine. That's good. I like that. Yeah. Now getting into drag, how long does it take you? Oh, my God. I can do it in 30 minutes if we are like on a road trip and we hit traffic and like, we're going to be late somewhere. Usually that means she doesn't have eyebrows. Um, I shouldn't do it in 30 minutes. (laughs) If I'm left to my own devices and I'm painting comfortably, I can 
two hours probably average but if I'm really fucking around I can take up to four I'm slow wow yeah which is wild because I'm not creating art it's a basic face like what am I doing with that time I don't know but you and Kimora Hall I know right I don't usually take that long but if I'm like at home with no timeline I certainly can but no I'd say like two hours like like shower to wig walk out the door I can I can do it in two hours nice Jamie's very quick so sometimes I have to rush because Jamie also drives the car. I don't have a license. So if Jamie's leaving, my ass has to be ready. <laughs> so. Sure, sure, sure. Do you have any favorite makeup products? Um, I really love Sugar Pills cake eyeshadows. Okay. The pans, because <laughs> they're super, super, super pigmented in every color. And I am, I don't know if you can, you can probably see it because I'm sitting in the window. I am so oily. I am... <sighs> shockingly inhumanly oily and so makeup that's not super pigmented and thick just slides right off sure like I remember Jamie was painting me once we did a photo shoot and she like did something blended my crease with something and then I saw her make like a confused face and she she did it again and then she put the brush down and did something else and she came back and she started getting mad and I was like what is happening do you not do you not like it what have you created and she was like why does your face eat makeup and I was like, I don't know what that means. It's because your face is, I, I'm not even kidding you. You're absorbing the makeup. Like it's yeah. not, I have a full brush and she was testing it on her arm and it was pretty pigmented. And because I'm so oily that it just doesn't show up if it's not a deeply pigmented, like gonna stain your face type eyeshadow. And Sugar Pill is one of, um, as drag has popularized and, and more brands have specifically tried to create drag makeup. I think more and more brands have like really upped their pigment factor, but Sugar Pill is one of, one of the best. And Amy who owns Sugar Pill is phenomenal mm-hmm. and her whole team Absolutely. is always so kind to us. And so I'm a big fan. I just got my first ever Sugar Pill Pro palette. And I haven't had time to use it yet because I've been, I don't know, cause it's pandemic, but like, I'm, I'm thrilled to have it. I'm so That's excited. Exciting. That's exciting. Yeah. Let's let let's discuss Miss Dior's home for peculiar drag children. <laughs> In general, why is a drag family important and how did you find this family? Um when I found the family, it actually didn't fully form exist yet. So I found that's not true. Chiffon found me. Okay, okay. Chiffon, I don't know how Chiffon found me. She found me on Twitter <laughs> just randomly. Um, she popped into my DMs when I was like fresh into drag. I think I'd only performed once and she just literally started talking to me and I was, I'm super social. I'm, I'll talk to anybody. Like, so unless I have a migraine, in which case all those, all those Reddit posts about how I'm not very nice and I have bitch face and I wasn't friendly, migraine days. (laughs) If I have a migraine, you could talk right at my face and I probably don't even hear you. But other than that, I'll talk to anybody. So I was like, oh, here's this really nice person sending me all these like randomly supportive messages. <laughs> Sweet. Um, so we started chatting and we're both so, not that you'll have noticed, but very talkative and can go on for years. And so that worked really well. And we just like, before I knew it, she just like randomly messaged me about like something funny I'd said about drag artists in like, I don't know, doing their drag thing. And then suddenly we'd been talking for like three weeks straight nonstop. And so she was like, do you mind if I add you on Facebook? Like, I think you seem really neat. Like I, you know, I've never met Canadian drag artists before, except for like one person. And, um, I run this website. And so I was like looking at, it was back when workwith.com was not safe for work and the original. Yeah. 
and I loved it. And she, I had mentioned that I was a writer and she was like, you know, maybe you can do interviews. So we just started sort of bonding over all of these different things we had in common. And she added me on Facebook and then I went to New York with, I had a job writing course material for an online school and they had hired me out of, I'd originally been like, just like an answer the phone type person. But then Mm -hmm. when they realized all the stuff that I was doing and interested in and that I had studied, they started um, getting me to write books for classes that you wouldn't typically find on online schools. So like remote makeup artistry and hairstyling and things that could be directed at primarily like femme people. um, Sure who didn't have access to like, because of, you know, whatever their wage and their work hours or their kids or whatever, um, to go to formal college classes. And so, uh, I went with that team to New York city and we did, um, that sounds so fancy. We were like, so out of our, I'd been to New York before we did all the Gaga stuff in New York, but like, as a team, we were like this little work team of like three girls from this teeny tiny business in a house. And like, it very wasn't fancy, but we thought we were the shit. Um, and we worked in a studio with a makeup artist who I met years later in drag. And we were both like, Whoa, holy shit. That's you. You're here. Oh my God. Um, And the night that I was there, Chiffon was like, this is crazy. I'm coming into the city for an event. What are you doing? I didn't know you were going to be in New York. And I was like, yeah, I'm here. I have the whole night off. Like I, you know, I know lots of people in New York, but they, a lot of them happen to be out of town. So I was like, I don't know, I'm not really doing anything. And, and I wasn't fully super into drag yet. Like I didn't know where to find New York drag and I wasn't sure I wanted to do it on my own. And because my coworkers were not about to come. And Chiffon was like, well, the, the Glammies, no, the Glam Awards. No, the, the Glam Awards, Glam Awards. Yeah, the Glam Awards. Okay. Um, those, those were that night. And she was like, yeah. do you have a, like an outfit with you? And I was like, yeah, I threw a sequin dress in just like offhand, <laughs> just in case I needed it. And she was like, well, good bitch, because you need it. Come to the, come to the Glam Awards. So I did, and I went and met her um, and uh, a couple other people that we used to like kind of randomly know through drag fan stuff um at the glam awards and we spent the whole night together and she was just so fucking funny and like just constantly making fun of me just like constantly reading me but you know when like someone does it so well that you're in stitches laughing at yourself because yeah. they're laughing with you not at you that's chiffon to a t which you know you know chiffon mm-hmm. um but for those out there that don't uh chiffon dior is hilarious um and it was just all night. And so later on when I'd gone home after that night and we were still talking every day, she was like, Hey, I want to run an idea by you. And I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but, um, I've really enjoyed talking with you. And, and she had started more like, I'd say I'm going out and she'd be like, well, what are you going to, what are you wearing out to the show? Is it good? (laughs) And I'd be like, Oh, and so I'd start sending her pictures. And so she was already very momming me. Like she was already mentoring me for sure. Um, and she'd been doing drag longer. So she was like, you know, giving me advice. And so she was like, well, how would you feel about being adopted by me? And I was like, that's a- amazing. Like I was only just getting into drag. I was only just familiarizing myself with the concept of drag families and chosen family. And because again, I was still very much navigating my own queerness and it was all very new. Um, and I like never expected, I was still grappling with the fact that like women could do drag and like, I I'd been hooped my whole life into thinking we couldn't. Um, and now suddenly not only was I doing drag, but like someone wanted to be my drag family. And I was like, shit like that's crazy of course yes and she was and she was so nice and we got along and and she's literally been like my third parent for years now like that was in 2014 probably 2015 um she's super supportive 
she's constantly fielding my meltdowns. She's filled with wisdom. She's like, can make me laugh no matter what crazy thing is happening. Like we have stayed at her house. We have, and she's just super, she's, she's the, the drag mom. Like she's such a mom. She's not even a drag mom. She's such a mom. So, um, and then once she had that connection with me and we were just getting along so well in this like drag mom, drag daughter relationship, she had a couple other people that she had also been talking to in very similar ways and been sort of mentoring and giving advice to. And I guess she'd been like, I don't know. She was like, well, I didn't really want to ask people because I didn't know. You never know if someone's actually <laughs> right. looking for a Absolutely. drag mom or if they have one already. But she ended up taking on so many like random one-off strays like myself that now we ended up with Chiffon Dior's home for peculiar children. Um, and yeah, my, I think I have f- five drag sisters now. I, I asked Chiffon, I was like, do you have a family tree? And she's like, I would love a family tree because I can't keep up anymore. Yeah, there's, uh, w- because, and then some people have like quit drag and then come back to drag. Mm-hmm. And like, but uh, just everybody that is involved with Chiffon, whether they're like quote unquote in the drag family or whether she's just like, again, adopting strays left, right, and center yeah. as, as she is wont to do, um, is just always lovely. And yeah. just very like, and I think that's partially her impact because she is, she's super understanding, but at the same time, like doesn't really let you, you take yourself too seriously. Yeah. And if you do, like, she's going to read you for it. But, true. but you're going to laugh about it. So, um, so it's a constant ever-changing drag family dynamic of like just very cool people and it's all very long distance. So I don't often see them. I, some of my drag siblings I've never met, um, which is a shame, <laughs> but those, I, I mean, like Gilda Wabbit, um, is my drag sister and like, mm-hmm. we see her all over the place and she's phenomenal and yep. ridiculously talented. And like, um, Luna Nova in LA, who I got to meet her when we were out there for drag con and like, um, just, just everybody that Chiffon gets involved with just ends up being with someone really fun and kind to, even if your interactions are just like, Hey, checking in, like, I hope you had a good Christmas. Like everybody's always just so uplifting. And, yeah. and I think that that's really important because like, obviously, if we're not in the same place, it's a little bit of a different drag family structure than like the classic drag family structure where like you and your family go out to the bar and you're like, they're in like your little like crew and your mom is putting you in your first wig because your stuff's garbage and she wants to look better and that kind of stuff. So it's very different. So, um, but it's, I don't know. I can just message them anytime, like like anytime, like, and it's so supportive and it's so like, it also has given me the strange opportunity to sort of like unofficially be like de facto quote unquote adopted by lots of different drag families because yeah. people know that Shafan is my drag mom and that she's amazing, but that we can't always be in the same place. So people will be like, that's okay, baby, you're ours tonight. And like, that's so beautiful to me. Like that's yeah. part of, that's one of the best parts of drag families, I think. And, um, I don't know. That's a phenomenon that like, obviously anyone can have chosen family and maybe your chosen family, your drag family, you're not even the same thing. But I think that that's something that happens particularly in queer spaces and in drag and in obviously it's got roots in ballroom. And, um, I just think that that's like really special. And it was something that I hadn't really experienced until I got into drag. And then again, like the broken inner military child, just uh, like, it was like a 
burn bomb for, for my inner self, because it was just like, oh, I can just like pick family members who, and they can pick me. And like, you know, my, my biological family is great, but again, they're at a distance. They can't sure. be there. And, um, and I've just spent a lot of time like connecting with people and then like losing them to distance. And so turning that distance into a good thing that you can be like friends and family through and, or, choosing family in different cities and stuff or having people scattered all over the place is, has been like phenomenally life-changing for even like my self-worth as like a social human. Like, yeah. I think that's so, 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 so important. So we're going to play a game. It's called this or that. Okay. I'm going to give you two options and you're going to okay. top of your head, which one it's going to be. You ready? Mm-hmm. Summer or winter? Summer, hundred percent, hands down. Train or plane? Plane. Cats or dogs? Cats. Fruits or vegetables? Fruits. Laundry or dishes? Oh, laundry. Cash or credit? <laughs> credit. <laughs> Expensive gift or homemade gift? Oh, homemade gifts. Tattoos or piercings? Oh, I got a lot of both. Tattoos? <laughs> Hockey or curling? Oh, I don't care. I can't tell us. No, my grandparents would pick curling, so I'll pick curling. Canada or USA? Well, that's not fair. <laughs> Usually I'd say Canada, but Ontario's really fucking up COVID response. I'd really like to be in the States right now. Well, we're, we're, we're fucking up herd immunity because, you know, Republicans, but. Um... It's going well all around. Neither. <laughs> sure I, choose, I actually would like to go to space. I would choose neither. There you go. <laughs> and finally, Brooklyn Heights or RuPaul Charles? Brooklyn Heights. There you go. <laughs> so you. Not that I'm biased. <laughs> no, not at all. You are a big knitter. I, I don't even know how to express in words my love for knitting. I love how, knitting more than most things. How, how did it happen? And have you made a drag outfit with um, yarn yet? I sort of. So it happened because my grandma has always knit and she taught my mom when she was young. And then at one point, my mom got back into it when I was in high school and she knit like literally everybody in our lives scarves. Like, like the person in my math class that I knew, but like was barely friends with got a scarf for Christmas. Like mm-hmm. everybody got a fucking scarf for Christmas. Cause my mom was getting back into knitting. And so that summer when we came and visited the grandparents that I live with now, um, and she was getting back into knitting and my grandma has always knit. I couldn't not try it. I was like, okay, like, this is looking pretty cool. Like, um, and so they taught me that summer and then it was always kind of something that I did. I was maybe like 22 when they taught me, Mm -hmm. uh, which means that I've officially been knitting for 10 years. Um, so it was always something that I like did, but it was, it was something that I kept up because I found I am a horrific nail biter. It doesn't look now because they're really long, but I like go in from the side and just literally like shred sure. of my fingers off, which is hideous, disgusting. Don't do it. Ew. COVID has really like kind of made it better because I can't, I have a mask on. And also that's disgusting because like now there's sure. everywhere. But anyways, um, it was an anxiety thing and I never getting doctors to take your mental health seriously as a woman with chronic migraines, who's often been like getting migraines diagnosed is really, really difficult. And then on top of it, if you have like other complaints that are not tangible, doctors are like, oh, so you're a liar. So me having anxiety, all the signs were there. And like, it was just never confirmed until I was literally like 28 or 29. Um, And I would just literally shred my fingers apart to the point that like, uh, in university, I was doing it so badly 
Um, and I was just so stressed and losing so much weight to, I got mono twice, which is a thing that can happen. And they don't tell you, I thought you could only get it once plot mm-hmm. twist. Um, that when I, I went in for the mono and the doctor saw the state of my fingers and how badly I had, that I was, they were swollen. And like, she was like, what the fuck have you done? Basically like you're, this is going to, he's going to get infected. Like, what are you doing? This is unhealthy. You already, I already have, I'm immunocompromised. I already have such a shit immune system. And she was like, you're literally just eating the germs. What is wrong with you? (laughs) And she put me on, she basically said to me, like, I keep a list of university students I treat who self-harm. And if these are not better, in better shape by the time you come back, I'm adding you to the self-harm list and like, there will be repercussions. You will get check-ins, da, 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 da. Uh, And I personally was like taken aback by that because I was like, that seems dramatic. I don't, I know people who self-harm sure. and this ain't it, but she was completely serious. And so yeah, like, that's how bad it got, but it was around that time that I would had like learned to knit. And I very quickly figured out that if I was sitting there like writing my thesis or doing whatever, and I was starting to feel really anxious and I was starting to shred my fingers apart. If I picked up knitting needles, I would knit a scarf instead Yeah, because it's still the same movement of the fingers. It's still the same fidgeting. I would in no time get so fast and I didn't have to really look down so I could continue watching or listening to whatever I was doing. Um, And so for a while, it kind of just stayed like that. And I, it was literally just an anti-anxiety thing. Um, It gave me something to concentrate on and something to funnel all my like constantly spiraling spare energy into. And it was something I could do um, with the migraines comes chronic fatigue. And it was something that I could do lying down, sitting up Mm -hmm. on the bus uh, that made me feel productive. Even if like all I managed to do that day was knit. Because I was like, yeah, but I need a scarf. So like, who cares? Yeah. Like, it wasn't Marcus. a waste of the day. I was in bed, like basically on my face the whole time, but I need a scarf. So, um, so it was uh, just like a coping mechanism, really. And then I, when I moved to Toronto, um, I happened to see a post right before I left Ottawa and it was for a knitting boutique, a little mm-hmm. yarn boutique. And I was like, I don't think I'm good enough, uh, but I'm a sales. I was, a, you know, I had worked in sales and um, I did knit and I kind of went on an off opportunity. I actually dislocated my knee extremely badly about an hour before going to the interview. So I showed up in shock and sweating and somehow still still got the job. I literally told my boss later, like, I have no memory of, of what we actually (laughs) talked about because I was literally going into body shock. My knee was broken. Um, (laughs) so anyways, I got the job and then working at a knitting store, like it was like, I had discovered this whole new world to knitting and knitting was also going through a resurgence of popularity. Like all sort of textile crafts have been much like drag popularizing again. Yeah. Um, after a period where it was like kind of nerdy and it's something only old ladies did. And, um, and I also learned about, it was just a really cool group of like ladies who knit and like <laughs> the store was small enough that like sometimes it would get slow and so we had a back table and it would just be like the regulars would come and we would all it was like a community round table but we would all just be knitting at the same time and I I it was like the knitting version of a drag family like I fucking loved it like it was so and it was at a time where like my whole life had become drag and then three times a week I would check out and just go knit for an hour or Mm -hmm. for five hours or whatever my shift was and that made me a I learned all about the like wildly like surprisingly unexpectedly activist roots of knitting and like resistance knitting and how it's like a big feminist movement. Um, and also just like, I don't know, knitting and sustainability and green efforts and like indie dyeing and supporting small businesses. And then at the same time, because I was suddenly thrust into this position of, um, 
being the expert who was supposed to fit other people's knitting mistakes when I didn't even really know, or I felt like I didn't know what I was doing because I made like a scarf and a hat and like, that was it. Sure. Um, I ended up kind of learning on the fly. And now like, I swear it gave me like a weird confidence. I can knit whatever the fuck I want now. Like, <laughs> and now I like knit all this. I, I just learned so much. It's my favorite job I ever had. The owner was amazing. They were completely flexible with like my whole drag coven Fandango. Like it was so amazing. And it's like the biggest I don't know what I would have done in quarantine. I'm still in quarantine because Ontario is fucked. Right. Um, I do not know what I would have done without knitting. It has literally, the correlation between knitting and my mental health and anxiety is wild, like crazy. I'm literally knitting. I have this set aside because I was knitting before we talked. So here's- There you go. Has Brooklyn um, asked you to knit her something for season two? So no, um, <laughs> she did once upon a time, she asked me for a sweater, but I made the mistake of letting her choose the yarn. Oh no. And she chose this big, chunky, like barely plied, like it was meant for arm knitting. You can actually knit mm-hmm. on your arms and I had never tried it. And so I gave in because it looked exciting. She wanted this oversized thing. And I was like, you know, there's no pattern for, I couldn't find a pattern for it, but I was like, I'm not a pattern designer, but I can totally do this. So I got all this fucking yarn from hell and I tried it. And it turns out I absolutely despise arm knitting. It literally, it's so awkward. So I got these giant needles. Who I don't know where I put them. I'd show you, but I can't. I got these giant needles literally the size of my forearms. And so oh. I knit this sweater on that and I hated it. It took me like a year to make myself do it because I hated it, but I wanted to finish it for her because all she ever wanted was like, she was like, oh, I always buy knit sweaters, but like I buy them cheap and like they fall apart and, but I love them and no one's ever knit me a sweater before. So I was like, got you, babe, don't worry. Um, and I finished it and it was fucking hideous and I hated it. And she was very kind about it, but she also clearly hated it. And so I tore the whole thing out and tried to do something else with it and tried to like fix it. And that took me an additional year and a half because again, I hated it. <laughs> it was so ugly. And by this point I'd torn it out so many times that it was like fuzzy and it like didn't, it was like basically roving now. Like it wasn't even yarn anymore. Yeah. And I finished it like a couple, like not even a month ago. And I put it on and I literally, first of all, misjudged, ran out of yarn and it was missing more than half a sleeve. Um, and I put it on and I didn't account for the fact that it was so chunky that the weight weighed the sweater down. And so uh-huh. because it was so chunky, it tightened the links and the sweater, when I put it on was measured perfectly on where like Brooke wanted it to hit and where it should have hit on me in comparison as a person who's like five inches shorter than her. Mm-hmm. And it literally suddenly just stretched and it hit my ankles. And I was like, fuck this thing i literally <laughs> it currently bagged in our basement to be donated because That's i funny. finished it so that it would be a complete garment but i hate it and she will never get it it is being disposed of safely and ethically um and then i never i no she got i remember when she was in season 11 she got drunk once and she was on instagram live and i signed in to like watch her live because we were in the drive through at 3 a.m after a drag show uh, and she saw me pop in and she was like, oh my God, I have a really top secret idea to tell you about later. And I was like, what, what you're, you have an audience of 785 people. Why are you <laughs> asking me, bitch? Like, and she was like, no, I have an idea. And it's an idea that only you can help me with. And it's super important. And I was like, this is dramatic. Sounds good. Let me know what it is. Love you. Bye. And so she FaceTimes me and she goes, are you ready for the idea? And I'm thinking like, this is something huge. Like what is she cooked up in her head? She goes, for the finale of season 11, you're going to knit my finale gown. And I was like, 
the fuck I am. (laughs) No, I'm not. It was in like two months to knit an entire gown would take, I was literally like, I would have to pattern it. There's, there are patterns out there for like wedding gowns, but not for six foot five people built like Brooklyn (laughs) Heights. I was literally like, I love you so much. No, (laughs) that's funny. And that was the only thing she ever really besides the failure of a sweater, which she'll get someday. I don't know. I'll redo it with yard of my choosing. I don't know why I thought letting the person who's never knit anything choose was a good idea, but so I've never actually knit for Brooklyn. That's a lie. I knit her when she got on drag race. I was too, I was so proud. We had tried to get her on the previous season. It hadn't worked. Um, I had no money to get her a gift. And I was so proud. I just wanted to get her like a congratulations gift or like a little token to like commemorate, like how she'd done this thing. And I had worked really hard on helping her and we'd spent all these hours on the phone. And it was just like, oh, I was so invested in my friend's success. It made me so happy. And I wanted to get her something and I had no money. And I knit her a little like heart shaped keychain. <laughs> it was like this little <laughs> bad. It was made from like the leftover yarn from like a pair of socks I'd knit my roommate. Um, and it was like, just this little heart and I stuck it on a keychain thing and I gave it to her and she like, I was like, it's so stupid. It's so cheap. I didn't have any money. I'm sorry. And she like got misty eyes. It was like, it's so beautiful. And it was, it was on her keys for like two years until finally like the yarn got thin and it like fell off somewhere. But that's the only thing I've ever knit her because everything else has been shambles. <laughs> yeah. So you, you've mentioned Lady Gaga, you, you've, mm-hmm. you've done uh, writings on her, but th- there's another artist that I know you're a big fan of and I'm a huge fan of. And his name is Adam Lambert. Love Adam Lambert. How, Love. What, what draws you to Adam Lambert? And when you've met him, what was your experience like? Uh, another person I could talk about positively for a billion years. Um, so originally, I always knew Adam's music. Um, I really liked him. I thought it was, he was the whole, you know, the like first openly gay on Idol. And that was a really big thing. And again, because again, I was like kind of like a big closet case being like, God, I sure. don't know why all the gay storylines resonate with me and all my friends are gay and all my, how weird. Um, yeah. So anyways, so I knew his music. I always liked his music. What originally, no kidding, drew me to like seeing him live and being a big fan was Jamie because Jamie's name on Facebook is literally Jamie Lynn Lambert Smith. Okay, Lambert is not her name. It's from back in the day when she was like a 14-year-old super intense Adam Lambert stan. So I make that, I say that like she's not still, she is. Um, So when we started, we met through Lady Gaga and then we started doing drag together. And then I moved down here. Jamie lives outside Toronto and I had moved to Toronto. Um, And she was a huge reason of why I came because of all the stuff we were doing. And when we would be planning drag coven trips and figuring out how we were going to get here and there and choosing what shows to go to, because we had to do it on a budget and we had to juggle our 19 billion jobs and we were poor and I had housing issues and everything was chaos. And there was a part, there was a time where Adam was also touring and she wanted to see both and she'd like won tickets to something and we were going to go, but it was right smack between two drag things we wanted to go to. And she was like, oh, well, you, but you probably don't want to come see Adam. So like, where can you meet me along the way? And because I don't have a driver's license or a car and mm-hmm. I'm useless. Um, and I was like, well, why would I want to come see Adam? And she was like, wait, do you like him? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, not like you like him, but like, I, he's great. I've always liked his music. I love concerts. I will see literally anyone in concert. Like if I've got the money or someone's got tickets, count me in. I don't even care if yeah. I like music. I just fucking love live shows. That's what I've always spent all my money on. Um, so I was like, hell yeah, I'll come. And I was 
I knew that it also had its own like niche intense fan base the way that like the Lady Gaga community does, but I didn't sure does. know its intensity. And I didn't know Jamie's particularly unique place in that fan base, which I can explain in a moment. And I also didn't realize the um, the age difference in what I was experiencing with the Gaga stuff and with drag and what I was getting when I walked into an mm-hmm, Lambert mm-hmm. show. Oh, yeah. All oh, yeah. middle-aged, straight, rich, married white ladies. Correct. Oh, my God. Not that I know, you know, no hate for these ladies, except for the ones who are mean, which there are many. (laughs) Oh, oh yes, there are. Mm -hmm. Um, But but, I mean, not all of them, obviously. But so I went to the show with Jamie, expecting that we were just going to like go to a concert and whatever. And I knew that Adam kind of, he, I'll get read for this, but Adam knows her. And that they sort of knew each other, but just because she's been going to his shows, so many of his shows for so many years, since the very beginning. Um, And... Um, we would do the whole fangirl experience where we'd sleep outside the venue to get the best spots or we, you know, show up uh, uh, at the back door at the stage door and they'd be so surprised that we like thought to do that, that like they'll say hi. And uh, not that it was just us, but like, um, and so I'd only really ever done that stuff for Gaga and then she was doing it for Adam. And I very quickly realized this very strange dynamic in which these older women seemed, it's like he's Elvis. Yeah. And they love him. And 99% of the people I've met going to these concerts are wonderful and they're motherly. And they've literally like taken care of us on the sidewalk when we got mugged and like got our wallets and phone were stolen. Like they're wonderful. And I could not rave about them enough. But every once in a while, like I once watched a woman at an Adam Lambert concert fake a disability so that she could sit front row and then walk, get up and walk out of the concert gloating about it. Not that a person with a disability can't get up and walk out. They can, but gloating about how, see, if you just fake it, see, I told you it works like a charm. And I was just, I was disgusted. No, I could not. I was like, (laughs) it was just so strange. And Jamie just goes, and she had warned me beforehand. And she was like, you're going to meet a lot of amazing people, but you're going to meet a lot of fucking weirdos. And I was like, (laughs) it'll be fine. Oh my God. No, she was right. But then like, there have been other experiences where, you know, we showed up at a, a casino show last minute because we got like super cheap back row tickets for some like mini residency he did. And we didn't realize we were going and I just happened to get them on my phone as we were driving. And we literally went and like changed the course of the car. And, and we walked in and some lady who recognized Jamie from like Stan Twitter walked up and was like, and we had gotten in drag and obviously nobody else is there in drag um, except for him, of course. Um, And he's a big old dragon, but um she walked over and she was like, oh, I recognize you. And you and your friend here always just look really amazing. Um, my two friends can't come. Do you just want these? And she gave us like front, middle row, like, gave us, and we were like, we can't afford these. And she was like, I didn't ask you to buy them. Just take them. Like, and, and like, we've gotten to see Adam with queen and like, just there's so many kind people involved to balance out the weirdos who do questionable yeah, things. Absolutely. That, I mean, we ended up front row um, because the woman at the ticket counter was a really big queen fan. And she liked that like younger people were being drawn to them, to them by, I mean, I already knew queen separately, but I wasn't going to tell her that. And like, sure, sure. Uh, and by <laughs> Adam Lambert's involvement and like, she just thought it was beautiful. So she literally upgraded our tickets to the front fucking row. Yeah. For no extra cost. What? And then we were on, so we could see him right from the stage and he's, he's so kind 
And he, like, as we were standing there, again, the only ones in this whole venue in drag, his partner at the time and the many decades manager of Queen saw us over the gate and how much fun we were having. And just, we were talking with the people around us and we were all dressed up and we had clock bands and like, we were, you know, Adam was like being silly with us from the side of the stage. And like, it was just so much fun. And so they came over and the, um, the manager was like, you know, it, like seeing fans that really like take it to that next level and are clearly like having the fun yeah. time of their lives at these shows. It just really like makes my heart happy. Thank you. And we were like, we didn't even do anything. Like, hey, that's so kind. Thank you. And like his partner brought us water because he was like, oh, you're dancing so hard. You need to hydrate ladies. And like, so like just, it was one of those things where similarly to Gaga, like the people around him and him are very cool and very yeah. kind and you're going to experience the fucking weirdos i've seen people basically want to like physically fight jamie in a, in a in a crowd for just for arriving before them like just for nothing didn't even do anything like <laughs> um so there's definitely like crazies um but he i think when the person that you're all around is a nice person it makes a really big difference yeah. and he is truly so nice he is just so he's such a dork he every time we see him like I never expect to be remembered because again like I've been just dropping in and out here and there whereas Jamie's been like a faithful fan that he knows who she is on site and like knows her name and they have had this sort of beautiful like relationship for however many years and so I'll just tag out tag along and every time he turns to me and goes, Courtney, how are you? And like, <laughs> he, he's considerate. He's polite. Like he's always making some kind of stupid joke. Like he'll find Jamie's drag stuff when it's like, she's not even tagged and he doesn't follow her. And he'll like check after a show to see like what cool things she was wearing. And like, that's cool. Just super appreciative, super kind, like very funny. He also loves drag. Like we have literally all mutual friends in common. Yeah just because of the way that people love drag. And so, you know, we went to a, we had a big clashing of worlds where we got invited to Lady Gaga doing a mini Enigma series at the Apollo, which mm-hmm. that, oh, I'm so grateful. It was fucking phenomenal. Like that sentence. Yeah. Mind blowing. Um, and we were so excited and we, it, we had gotten, um, her manager had told us about it last, last minute that we could come. And we were literally, I was working gigs with Toronto pride and we were just simultaneously doing media for drag cub and Toronto pride brought us on to, um, just to take pictures and do sure. social media and ramp up visibility and whatever. And so we had to finish out pride, but the thing, the Apollo was the next morning or the next afternoon. And so we literally, after my last gig, we got in the car, I de-dragged lost one of my only contact lenses I had on the whole trip. So then the next day I went with one contact lens in and I was blind on one half and got a raising migraine. Worth it, totally worth it. Um, but we drove through the night. I had to de-drag before we got to the border so that they would let me over. Um, immediately got there in the morning, got back into drag and went to the Apollo. And when we walked in, the first people we saw walking in were Willem in Alaska. And we were so, which, why was I surprised? We yeah. were so excited because we hadn't, it had just been such chaos and so last minute that I hadn't thought to check if they were coming. Um, so we walked in and they were like, oh. so we got to see them. And then we walked in further and we got our seats and whatever. And we went over to talk to them. And on our way over, we see Alaska kind of making this like funny, like hurry up face at us. And she's like frantic. And she's like, come here, come here, come here. And because her seat was next to Adam Lambert. And she knows that Jamie fucking loves Adam Lambert. Yeah. And so she was trying to like, t- talk about a good sis, like just knowing that we're fan squirrely and being like, yeah, bitch, come on over here. Like I'll hook this up for you. Um, so we got to sort of hang out with 
some of our friends from drag with Adam Lambert at a Lady Gaga concert. And I was like, this is the fucking trifecta. Like this it's is all totally the is. that we've been involved in fan bases for in one room. Like it was very, very cool. And he's That's amazing. super kind. He even at that show was like, oh, I'm doing a street concert tomorrow. And like, it's too expensive for you to get into. Don't waste your money. But if you go stand on that street, I checked today and you can totally hear all my music from the sidewalk. So just show up at the gate. <laughs> so we did like, and we were like, oh, thanks man. Like, and we did. And we went and saw the show. We actually hacked our way in some very kind elderly gays gave us their VIP bracelets so that we could join the condo association we absolutely were not a part of and stand and actually watch the show instead of standing on the street because they thought it was hilarious they were like we used to do shit like this when we were young too and um so yeah so Jamie's definitely more like a part of the fan base of like more familiar with like him as a person and his career but it's like if you can basically be a tourist at, uh, at a person's concerts and drop in here and there and they can be that nice to you like ugh. Andy's so talented his voice is so phenomenal yeah phenomenal well speaking of music we're gonna play I love games on the on the podcast we're gonna play I, another, I do uh, another little game uh we have to blame Canada for giving us some of the greatest musicians ever and some that we wish we could forget I'm gonna give you a name of an artist or band and you're gonna tell me your favorite song or album of theirs this is going to be chaotic and terrible. I can't wait. All right. I'm so bad at music. My, my taste in music is trash. Just All right, let's see. Let, let's start with Alanis Morissette. I like, I honestly, this is such a cliche answer. I like ironic. Okay. That's because that. I love, I don't know why, but sometimes when drag queens do it, they just like, they, it's just a song that they'll like get stupid to. Mm-hmm. And they'll just like act out all of the, the quote unquote ironies that aren't really ironies. And it tickles me. I don't know why I love it. So that will probably be my favorite. Avril Lavigne. Oh my God. How do I even pick a favorite? Uh, I, I'm with you. No, okay, I, okay. I don't even know. I, know, I it's loved hard her. Loved her. Is she still alive? Is that the, that's the big question. I heard she's a clone now, but honestly, like there whatever, you go. I'll, I'll accept it. Carly Rae Jepsen. Ooh. I like Run Away With Me. Okay. I like all her music, but I, yeah, I like Run Away With Me. Shania Twain. Man, I feel like a woman. Mm -hmm, There are so many things you can do with that that are very like reclaiming. Yeah. Uh, Sarah McLaughlin. Whenever I see, uh, literally the only song I think of for Sarah McLaughlin is that heartbreaking in the arms of the <laughs> angels to the the animal charity. Have you seen yep. those ads? Or oh, those- of course I have. Okay. Um, I was like, I, was that just Canada? That's no, all I, I think of. Off. Yeah. That's all I think of. Uh, next up is Joni Mitchell. Oh my God. I don't even, I don't know. Okay. I, my favorite is Big Yellow Taxi. That's a good one. It's a good one. It's a good one. Um, She's one of those people, though, that, like, I don't, I'm not, like, a super fan or anything, but imagine being a super fan of Joni Mitchell. Um, (laughs) But, like, all of the songs are good to listen to. She she is pretty iconic. Um, Speaking of iconic, Nickelback. (laughs) I was at a Nickelback concert once. I did did Mm -hmm. go when I lived in a little shitty small town. Uh, God, what are... Photograph is fun to make fun of. That, that's a good one. Um, how about Simple Plan? Oh my God. I'd do anything. That has big okay, me one. in middle school memories. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I let, loved them. Let, let's continue with Sum 41. Ooh. I don't know. There. No, I, say, I don't know. I would say Fat Lip. I mean, it's there. It was the first one. That's true. Um, and put them on I the feel map. like there are so many like. Cla- 
Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. Tegan and Sarah. Closer. Easy, I easy. I love that one. It's um, such a cliche choice too, but I don't <laughs> It's true. Michael Buble. Mm. Oh God, I don't know. I don't know. Sway. I know all his music, but I don't know. They're mostly covers. He does a lot of covers. Yeah. Um, how about Rufus Wainwright? I'm oh bad God. at picking favorites. That's fair. I mean, I uh, for me, it's cigarettes and chocolate milk. That's been my go-to oh, Rufus that's song. A good choice. Um, Justin Bieber. I don't think I have one, but for different reasons for why I did, couldn't pick Joni Mitchell and Rufus. Because he's terrible. Like the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. yeah. Um, and finally, the hardest one, Celine Dion. Oh, I ha- obviously have to say I drove all night because I just raved about Priyanka for. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> Not that that's the, the most mainstream association, but I think it's. Um, Celine Dion was the very last concert I went to before everything shut down. Really? Um, yeah, me and my friend who has now ghosted me, uh, we went and it was um, an incredible time. And now I can't, Amazing. Just, I can't listen to Celine Dion anymore. So thank oh. you, friend. Um, but yeah, <laughs> no, that, uh, that, that song ha- has special meaning also because um, I, uh, a good friend of mine, Heidi Ho, did that, perform- mm-hmm. uh, that, did that song um, at a show and he was there. He always requests... Um, uh Celine Dion and she yeah. had done a performance heart version of it I I would say love that um do, do you remember the story of the Florida woman astronaut who um literally put on a diaper to go um seek revenge on her ex mm-hmm. she'd made that the the storyline of I drove oh all night God. um and then like took him out of the audience and found a role of like uh uh, paper towels and like tied him in the paper towels it was oh, very funny oh my god yeah um I we, love love, that. We, lo- we love drag oh yeah i love heidi ho she's in, she's incredible i just saw her yesterday she was at my really? house really yeah oh that's so nice so we're gonna play another game it is okay. a classic here it's if you're not it's the cameo game show if you're not familiar with the website cameo you can book a celebrity to record a message for you or a loved one for a small price but each celebrity has a different cost in this game, you have to guess who costs more. Hysterical. Oh my God. I'm and on we're going to do. Book me on Cameo. Yeah. Don't book me on Cameo. I haven't been in drag in six months. We're going to do all drag queens. So Amazing. Manila Luzon or Latrice Royale? Manila. Latrice. She is 125 and Manila is 100. Damn. I knew I was like, oh, fuck. I don't know. <laughs> um, Juju B or Blue Hydrangea? Blue Hydrangea. Blue is 40. Juju is 100. Oh my God. I am so bad at those. Ginger Minge or Scarlet Envy? Ginger. Ginger is correct. $60. Uh, Scarlet is 50. Next, we have Tamisha Iman or Tina Burner. Tamisha. She is $60. Uh, Tina is 40. We're going to talk about some of our friends down under. Um, Karen for, from Finance or Maxi Shield. <laughs> Karen. No, shocker. Really? Karen, Karen is 65. Maxi is 75. I'm so bad at those. Uh, next, we have the duo Kidamine or Anita Wiglet. I love them. Uh, Kidamine. Kida is 40. Anita is 69. <laughs> oh my God, I'm literally like losing this game. <laughs> so next, we have two winners The Vivian or Envy Peru. Envy. $50 for Envy, $90 for the Vivian. I should have known that one. 
Um, next, we have two people who may or may not um, appear on a television screen together one day. Um, Janie Jacquet or Lemon? Uh, lemon. Lemon is 50, uh, 40. Janie is 50. Damn it. <laughs> I'm um, so sure Lemon was 50. Damn it. Next up are, are two um, international pork chops. It's juice box or room. Room. No, juice. Room. It's, it's room. <laughs> She's 50. Juice box is 30. Um, next we have Kine or Jimbo. Jimbo. Jimbo is correct. $50. Kine is only 30. Next we have Anastasia Anakwe or Tainomi Banks. Tainomi. Trick question, they're both $50. Dang it. <laughs> um, how about Boa or Scarlet Bobo? Bobo. Bobo was 45, Boa is 30. And now finally, how much can you get a Brooklyn Heights cameo for? Uh, she's expensive. Isn't it like $125 or something? She's at a hundred. She's, she's, she's at a hundred right now. Okay. Amazing. She always changes the price because then she'll do charity ones. So Fair. I never know what, I never know what yeah. she costs. Well, <laughs> get a cameo friends. Get, get one from Courtney. Don't get one from me. <laughs> you can, but I probably will not be. My what, wigs are literally packed in a duffel bag. What, what is the strangest request you've gotten? I've had oh a friend. God. I've had a friend who's told me that a message was to break up with someone for them hysterical i love mm-hmm. that i also think it takes balls to book that and i'm really obsessed with that um i don't i haven't gotten any strange requests i they've only ever been super fucking lovely like yeah. really lovely like they'll be like hey like i'm going through a hard time and i'm changing jobs or i have a school thing or whatever and i just need some um support and encouragement but they'll like preface it with like I'm really great for you, for you. And you're really inspiring. And I just want to like, support you and you deserve every opportunity in the world. And like, they'll still preface it with like a lovely comment or paragraph. And I'm always sitting there like ready to do cameos and then like getting misty eyed as I'm about to go on camera. Like I have to take a moment because everybody's so nice, but I've never had anybody ask anything super weird. Okay. That's fair. Drag race is exploding. Mm-hmm. Um, what started in the USA, the franchise has moved to the UK, Canada, Thailand, Holland, down under in Spain. Where would you like to see it go next? Hmm. That's a good question. I, this is so specific. I went with Jamie to visit my parents when they lived in Germany. We did a road trip and we went through Poland Mm -hmm. and we got to see drag in. So we went through Poland, the car broke down. We got the car working again. We drove to Prague in the Czech Republic and the car broke down again. And then we ended up stranded halfway between Poland and Prague. So what we ended up having to do, there's this circles back, I swear. What we ended up having to do is get a rental so my parents could drop us off in Prague and then go and get the car fixed because they, they were there on a posting. It was a Canadian car. It had American posts, a whole, it was Oh, fuckery, complete fuckery. We were literally stranded in like the foothills of Poland with no service. We had to like walk. Yeah. Um, and Jamie and I ended up spending extra time both in, in, I think we saw drag in Krakow and then in Prague in ways that we didn't expect to see any drag on the trip with the exception of the UK. And once we got to Germany with my parents, we thought, oh, it'll just be like driving around on like family day trips. Like it was a family trip. It was not for drag. But then when we got stranded and we ended up having all these like extra overnights in places we didn't realize we were going to be in, we tweeted out and we were like, hey, like 
does anybody know where drag is in Rotslav or in Krakow or in Prague or in wherever the fuck we were? And people answered and got us to drag shows. And I, that's it was, cool. It was literally one of the coolest things we've ever done in drag. It was easily one of my favorite experiences, like hands down involving everything. So in Poland, we went in Krakow and we were, we went to this little bar that was in this like ancient building, big stone building, like looked like it maybe was one time like a political or manor home. And, but this bar was on like the side of the building and a little door and you went in and you went immediately down and it was like dark with like yellow tinged like dungeon looking lights on the side to this like cabaret lounge that was just little and it had like armchairs and little tables and mm-hmm. everybody spoke Polish like we, Jamie and I don't drink or at least like not at shows when we have to get up and travel um and we like couldn't really talk to anybody but they like offered us water anyways and like fans had just been tweeting us being like I don't really know a whole lot about the show but I know there are queens I know it's a production I think you'll really like it I think it's really diverse and we walked into this tiny place and we were like how the fuck is a production show happening in this like (laughs) armchair cabaret looked like a tiny smokers lounge during prohibition like we were like (laughs) small and it was so hot it was in like high August so hot um and obviously the buildings are all hundreds of years old so there's no air conditioning um suddenly this like curtain in the corner opens and the person says we assume that everybody can come in so the audience shuffles in and we enter this room and it was like the basement of this this bar this lounge it was a full cabaret stage that's cool full stage you had to go down to get there but then it had riser seating so you had an amazing view no matter where you sat it was hot as fuck full on like watch this show in like a sweaty Polish basement. Um, it was packed. There were so many people. It had been so quiet and unassuming and there wasn't a lot of like socialization happening. And then all of a sudden we were at this fucking production show and it, there was, we got to meet the whole cast after they were amazing. There was a magician who he had the drag queens be his assistants. Um, there was trans representation on the cast. There was a queen who had been on like some, like the Polish version of one of the singing competition shows. Um, they did one song twice for no reason that we like couldn't figure out why. And, and we, it was all in Polish and we didn't know what it was. And everybody sang along and we were just like clapping, like having a blast, but like not being able to clue into like why it was happening twice um they also did burlesque from burlesque twice and we didn't know why um it was like a two hour long show full but it was like I guess it was like the closing show of their like season Mm -hmm. um their like performer season it was amazing there were magic tricks there were costume changes there were like 10 performers and then we watched we got to meet the performers afterwards halfway through there was an intermission um and on the intermission, this guy, I had my drive a backpack that says drag cabin. And this uh-huh. guy taps me on the shoulder from behind and goes, Hey, is that you? And I was like, yeah, it's a blog that we run. And he went, I think I follow you. And I was like, I am in the middle of Poland and that's cool. <laughs> like amazing. Thank you. And he goes, um, do you know a lot of the Queens from the show? And I was like, well, we know some of them. And he goes, can I tell you my favorite? She's wonderful. She's amazing. She's, she's the best. She's just, I admire her so much. And he raves about Ivy Winters. She's amazing. She's so talented. She's whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and like Ivy's a friend of ours and like I hadn't talked to her in a while. And it was just so cute what he was saying all the way across the world. I was like immediately texting her being like, I just had the cutest experience in the middle of Poland. <laughs> and I have to tell you about it. Um, and so 
when we came back from, inter- when they came back from intermission, the owner or manager or show, show manager, I'm not sure what his position was, but he was a refined looking elderly gay gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets on the mic and he starts talking and people are kind of cheering and then being very quiet and respectful. And like, he was obviously like, you know, someone that people respected and he is talking in Polish and we have no idea what's going on. We're just sitting there politely listening. And then all of a sudden he switches to English and goes, and I hear we have some English friends in the audience. Please give a warm welcome to our friends from Canada. And like, we were like, how did you, who told what? Like, we had no idea how they like figured out that we were there, but it was so cute. Literally everybody clapped and we were like, it was the only sentence in the entire night that we understood. Um, and afterwards everybody filtered out into the street and just like finished their cocktails and had cigarettes and like mingled in the, in the road. And it was really late and it was really quiet. It was in like a more historical part of town. And like, it was almost like this bar was a secret, like, and everybody went out and just like kind of quietly partied in the road after. And it was really, we got to meet everybody. They were so lovely. Um, this man who I, I think he was just a regular at the bar. Um, he knew all the Queens. So he translated for us because not all of them spoke English. And he told us more about just like the Polish drag and, and the scene in Krakow. And, um, it was so cool. And it was, it was right before a lot of big, I think they were already stirring, but it was right before a lot of big things happened in, in, politics in Poland that were very much not queer friendly and very from what I I don't know the details but from what I understand rather dangerous and so he had kind of said to us like you know it's not often that somebody who's visiting Poland seems like thinks to think this kind of thing out or seek this kind of thing out and we were like well like back in North America like we are drag artists and we do da 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 and we kind of told him briefly what we do and he was like that's really cool but also like it like it means a lot that you'd come out and like risk it like that and we were like yeah. risk it and I, i've never felt like more of like a naive privileged westerner before like in my life because i was like risk it because where i'm from like whatever i walk down the street in my underwear to go to the gay bar and then i walk back and like yeah, that's fine and sometimes right. i heckled, but i tell them to fuck themselves and like that's it like um and he was like yeah no it's like like risky coming out here and the fact that like you would not only come and like you know, um, cause we had asked beforehand if we could film and they gave us permission to, you know, take pictures and stuff. And, um, they said, you know, if you, the fact that you'd like seek out the local drag, wherever it is that you're at, but then also like, you know, people are not always friendly to like the kind of people who come to shows like this. And it's cool that you came anyways. And we were like, taken aback by that it was just a reminder and he was so sweet and he was so like informative and helpful and they were all so like we were so grateful to be there and we were like oh my god thank you for this amazing show like the show was phenomenal and they kept saying well no thank you for coming like no thank you for even being here and we were like why wouldn't I be here this was amazing and so it was just like a circle of thank yous (laughs) like um so anyways all that to say we had a similar experience in in Prague as well and actually the the um boy who worked the till I say boy because he's literally like 17 maybe <laughs> lucky um he walked into his shift the day we checked into our hotel and we were wearing drag merch shirts I forget who we were wearing and he turned around and went oh my god we are friends now and we were like <laughs> okay why like and literally from that moment forward we got stranded there for like a week and a half because again we like the car broke down and it was um 
he literally like he took us out to drag shows he took us to the bar another girl who just like followed us on twitter was like i live right outside prague i will take the train in i will get an airbnb we're going out to a show we'll take you and so the two of them took us out and took us around drag and like we got to meet some of the um czech drag queens and so and it was an equally awesome it's like it was just this hilarious memory of like being stranded randomly finding friends this boy literally walked up to us in the lobby of our hotel and said let's go we're going out tonight ladies get ready and I was like I like that you can just like tell that we're down like yes of course yeah what what time do you need us um and we literally just made friends and went around with these people so I would love to see a drag race that opens up to like the rest of Europe okay so so drag race eastern Europe yeah because and uh, and obviously you and Jamie will be guest judges uh, yeah so naturally (laughs) Yeah, right. I wish. Um, I just think it would be really cool because like yeah. I didn't expect to find dragon by accident in, you know, these big old historical cities. I just kind of never thought about it because when I'm there, I'm always there as like a tourist with my family. And sure. Yeah. It was really, really cool. So I would like to see that. That was the longest answer ever. I'm so sorry. That's no, uh, we love talking here. So the fandom, let's be honest though. It's mm-hmm. a bit to- it, it's a bit toxic. Yes. How can we fix it? Can it be fixed? The age old question. Yeah, for sure. I think so. And like, let me be clear up front. And I say this all the time. I am so grateful for drag and the fandom and the way that the fandom has like evolved and changed. Um, And the positive experience we have had in drag overall, including with the fandom as part of it, as being subjected to it as whatever, the positive far away that it gives. Otherwise I would not be here. Um, However, (laughs) it is not always peachy. Uh, I do think that it is changing. I do think that wider conversations and discourses surrounding even just not even within drag specifically, but even just the way that artists are treated, the way that strangers speak to each other, the assumptions that are made when you enter into a quote unquote confrontation with somebody. Um, the, the manner in which people fight and argue um, and how like, are you here because you're trying to like be productive and have a conversation with somebody and communicate like an adult? Or are you here because you want to say something really nasty and then gaslight them when they defend themselves as though they were at fault because woe is you, even though you came in, called them a slur and like insulted their mother. Like, so um, I think it's changing. And I think the fact that that's getting talked about more is really important Especially because, and I think this is true of all reality TV show fan bases, but particularly Drag Race because queer people are, I don't know, often the butt of the joke, easy to target. It's not easy navigating society as a queer person. And then on top of it, you have the exposure offered by reality TV. And the nature of reality reality TV, even with a, you know, a sisterhood and a franchise base like Drag Race, is that once you're off the show, there's always a new bitch coming up right under your ass. Absolutely. And the public attention span is extremely short. Um, which is part of the reason there's 17 seasons airing at the same, at the same time, Exactly. which I'm grateful. I'm not doing fucking anything else, but still. Um, so I think, uh, I think it's, it's good that certain, my mind immediately jumps to the Vixen. Um, cause she talks about it a lot, that conversations about how public figures and queer artists and community leaders and people who are thrust into the spotlight by reality TV and then largely abandoned afterwards Mm -hmm. um, to just sort of navigate through it and hope they keep their head head above water. I think that that's a really good thing to talk about. Yeah. 
particularly because like with something like drag race specifically, they're not just taking random contestants who have like one arbitrary shared thing that they like, like, or sometimes do. They are taking people from a particular community that is at the heart of society, a vulnerable community, a very diverse community with its own vulnerable groups within that. Um, And they are repackaging it and marketing it to the mainstream cishet society. And I think that that is... I, I am an advocate for that. I love that. I, I, as long as it's done well and respectfully and non-voyeuristically, um, I think that that's a really big thing. I think that drag race has done huge things for drag. I think that the popularization of drag has provided us all with more opportunity, but, um, it has to be done right. Or it is voyeurism. You are then just making money off the backs of queer people and artists and then sort of tossing them out and getting a new crop and bringing them up and saturating the industry. And that has a big impact and a trickle down effect on these communities and industries that are trying to function as a source of income for people who don't even qualify for the show in myriad ways. Right. And we're impacted by what the show does and then on top of it, you, you know, you give an edit, a certain queen gets demonized, whether it's because of the, the editor, her own behavior, whatever, doesn't matter. Um, and then faces harassment and bullying and abuse. And the show doesn't really, and, and I, I get it. I understand, but like the show, it doesn't necessarily, it's not like they offer aftercare. So. Right. right. And, and that's something I actually talked about with someone yesterday is it, is there needs to be counseling mm-hmm. afterwards. And it's not just for mental health. It's, how to prepare for life as a yeah. newfound quote unquote celebrity. Completely. Uh, media training, from, media literacy, yeah. press training. Because, and there because, is a certain measure of that in certain ways at certain times, yeah. but that doesn't mean everybody comes out of this fully prepared. Nope. Nope. And so. And, and we, we've, we've seen some people um, bomb their careers because of it. Completely. And when you put that phenomenon in a context in which there are so many people who use discourses about accountability and um, they kind of bastardize that until it's just call out, call out culture for the purposes of making oneself feel superior to someone else yeah. and reveling in their downfall. I love the age of accountability. I think that people shouldn't be held accountable for the mistakes they've made and the things they've done and the harm they've caused, but that and call out culture uh, and sort of indulging one's inner narcissist, it, it, that's not the same thing. Um, and one is, one is productive and the other is not. So then when you put in, you know, previously, uh, low income, still, uh, intersectionally vulnerable artists who had a bad experience on a show at a heightened level of exposure they've never experienced before. And they were provided with little to no coping mechanisms for navigating that. And then they react. And then depending on their skin color and their body weight and their gender and their sex and the kind of drag they do, they may or may not be either babied or set a light with criticism in ways that are completely beyond their control and super systemically problematic. Then you have the drag race fandom. <laughs> yep. So, and it's not that all the fans are bad. It's just that it's this weird mix of people who are, I largely, myself fucking included, are largely on the defense because they have to live on the defense because of their own experiences. But then that also makes them like hypercritical. And then the nature of the reality TV is that it's also kind of a, a, you know, a joke in some people's eyes. So then they're even more hypercritical and they forget that those are real people and they'll say anything to or about them. And then on top of it, you have 
elements where there are people who are sort of guests in the space for the purposes of just the duration of Drag Race. Sure. And they don't necessarily understand the impact that what happens surrounding Drag Race has on the drag artists working in the drag community who are queer people who will never be on Drag Race. Right. who are impacted and then they come in saying things and things like women can't do drag or things like you know uh all of these problematic uh, that's the only one i'm going to offer this is my only experience but all of these problematic ideas that get put forward and people go well it's just internet drama turn it off or whatever and they're kind of ignoring that like this has a tangible real life grassroots on the ground fact in the bars for audience and, and for audience members alike too. The more you talk about how women can't do drag, again, as my, as my easily accessible example, the more that women who show up to consume drag are also being devalued, even though they're like the fucking current bread and butter supporters of, of right. but especially as drag race is involved. So, and fr- frankly, honestly, even, even more so in the local community, the number Absolutely. one, the business who come truth for the local community are always young queer women, not always, but you know what I mean? Overwhelmingly young queer women. And so- it's honestly, I could talk circles about it forever, but I think it's, our experience has been really interesting because we went from being confusing to, oh my God, this is really fucking cool. We love it. To then wait, is it appropriation because women have no place in drag? Now we're just going to politely tolerate you, but be frosty to, oh, I've learned that women have a place in drag, but I've already thrown my money behind this. So like now I have to, because ego, I have to like defend myself. So like, fuck you die. And we've had really horrific abuse situations happen. We have trauma resulting from drag and we are not the only ones. We are not special. Um, To, oh, the scene is evolving. And by that, I kind of in a weird way, I mean devolving into like its original, like diverse Mm -hmm. roots before uh, queer friendly erasure. But you know, the scene is evolving into like more diverse. And I said some things in the past that were not kosher and would not fly now. And so I'm going to pretend these people do not exist uh, and I'm going to ignore them. And then wait, now we're actually having these conversations and really awesome discourse is happening and people are being accountable and trying to diversify in really authentic ways. And things have shifted around that like different people have different power now. And suddenly I think drag is moving towards this really fucking amazing place but some really difficult conversations have to happen. And every once in a while right. there's, there's leftover bullshit from, you know, the, the 10 years ago when yeah. queer women were barely welcome in quote unquote gay bars. Um, and it pops up and just sort of like throws everybody off track again. And uh, so I do think that the fan base can be quote unquote saved. I don't think they're, they're, I don't think that the individuals who get caught up in this are necessarily bad people. Um, I think that they are naive and I think that they need to sort of check themselves and listen to those speaking around them. Absolutely. Um, and I think that I just really honestly think some, some better kindness needs to be practiced. And absolutely. Uh, I think it's messy and I don't think we're there yet. And I think that this various things that have happened in t- the last two weeks even are big indicators of how, you know, drag will always be a messy sport and I get it. And it's not always a bad thing, but I do think that like, there's still a fun. I mean, uh, let's play the cards. I mean, slap the whole hand on the table, the drag race fandom TM, like as a conglomerate mm-hmm. are still wildly trans misogynistic and racist yep. and, and body shaming end of story, like done hands down. Like that's what you get when you 
walk into quote unquote the typical room and Mm -hmm. yeah I it's it's not everybody it's it's changing it's evolving but I when people when I when drag artists talk about having a complicated relationship with drag race and or the people involved and or the phenomenon and what it has done despite its positive impact I never sort of begrudge them that like kind of associated negativity because not only what the show portrays, but how people consume it and what they do with that information or perception right. really does come down on the rest of us. And so um, it's not it's not really fair, but it's complicated because then maybe we, the rest of us also get more gigs because like suddenly there's tours and I'm phenomenally grateful for my experience with, with the wider drag race associated network because that's where all my work has come from especially in in times where like the local scene was you know one bad apple will try to ruin the barrel and you see someone in the local scene is poisoning it for women or trans people or whoever they've decided to hate this week and if your local scene is suddenly for however long or however briefly unsafe and you can go to a show either in another city or a drag race tour or whatever like the fact that we can kind of all pick and choose where we go is amazing and obviously if there was no fan base that would not be a reality so I'm like grateful for it and and again truly the nice people and the lovely things that are said to us and the the support I see them giving queens that I've worked with and um you know all the people who even are associated with the like the work that comes out of it and the like the overwhelming support with the support local drag movement and like that's all amazing. And that's the stuff that I like love to concentrate on. But I also, I don't blame people for screaming about the harm that's caused and what they've experienced. And I think that, I think there's a lot of, there's sort of a misunderstanding where if you've ever benefit from the boom that drag has had as a result of drag race, and then you want to talk about the, again, abuse or trauma you've been to within the queer space people kind of don't, they think that those two things are mutually exclusive. Then they go, okay, but like, you've also gotten all of this really, really phenomenal, amazing stuff and all of these opportunities. And now all you're doing here is like screaming about the bad things you've been through that's entitled and like, you're bad. And it's like, I don't think that it should be demonized when people talk about like the bad things that they've been mm-hmm. through in the background, because that stuff threatens the good things from happening or threatens their ability to take advantage of those opportunities properly or to perpetuate those opportunities and make more opportunities for more up and coming queer artists. Um, and I really do think that when people speak out and say like, hey, I've been treated like shit in drag, whether it's by the other drag artists or primarily by fans in the community, I think we should be listening and yeah. not being like, oh, you're such a whiner. Oh, everybody's always against you. Oh, like, you know, we've gotten that a lot, but it, we, we're not on TV. We are not even, even if you take the TV out of it, we're not the leading names on the signs outside the bars in a in our local scene. Like, so if that's what we get, like imagine being these leading performers, like I do think that there needs to be space for people to like acknowledge it and talk about it and and vent about it when they get treated badly by these mass. And it's so the fans love to dogpile. Mm Mm-hmm. And I do think we should all give time for, I mean, I love when, you know, we walk into a building and I was saying this to someone earlier today, there's been such a change in the, in the drag race fandom itself specifically in that when we began in the drag race fandom and we were sort of, the reason we stood out was because we were cosplaying the Queens. We were girls 
period. Mm -hmm. We were in costume at all. The girls who did show up did not dress up. Um, right. And then uh, dorky things like we brought gifts and we took pictures and whatever. And that was all left over from the Gaga stuff. And, and it didn't really fit in. But if we were to do that now, we like wouldn't really stand out. And I, and I love that because those things should be celebrating and like being openly sparkly and obnoxious and whatever is an awesome thing. Yeah. And I love to see it. And it, and it's weird to me that we once stood out for that <laughs> because we were kind of the only, not the only ones, but often in a room we were, we were the only ones. And yeah. that's why we got to know certain people and make certain connections. Cause they were like, who the fuck are you? And what the fuck are you doing? Like, and it was weird and women just doing drag and showing up to have community should not fucking be weird. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm just saying, I'm just using gender because that's my experience. Um, so, but there are obviously lots of different power dynamics that need to be made a little more welcoming and drag. Um, so, but now when I walk in, like I tour assisted Brooklyn, uh, in what, what year are we in? However many years ago, back when she was on season 11, <laughs> lost in space and time. And I remember walking into one of the venues and I don't, I don't even remember where we were. And I looked around, no, it was in Toronto because I had had a lot of, I had clashed with a, with a leader in Toronto and I got stalked and there was trauma. And anyways, uh, I was very unsafe because of my gender and it was fucking weird. Um, but it all got put to bed, but I always had that sort of trauma rooted, like I had to be on my toes if I was going to go to certain spaces in Toronto, because Toronto is a fucking amazing city. They are an amazing yeah. scene. I love Toronto drag. They are my siblings. It is my home. I love it. I love it. I love it. But again, a couple bad apples can ruin a barrel. So, um, is that even a saying? I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Let's <laughs> uh, go it that. is now. Um, and so I really was wary because I, because I had to be, because I got literally like damaged in several ways in this. And so I always, you know, would just, just, just be on my best behavior in Toronto, just in case. And we walked into this show and I looked around and it was all young queer women. Cause apparently Brooklyn exudes big lesbian energy, <laughs> young queer women who were about the age I had been when I had started coming around. And when, when the backlash for us really, really started yeah. and they were doing what we, so many of them were dressed up. If they weren't dressed in cosplay, which some of them were, then they were dressed in whatever their look for the night was. And they were holding hands and being queer. And they were the number one people in the bar. And not all of them were cis and not all of them were women. And, but it was the, that specific young queer femme dynamic and it was overwhelmingly the clientele. I had never looked across and seen so many like young, non-cis males, sparkly, like confident. Nobody was hiding in a corner, just like texting on their phone because they wanted to come to the show, but nobody would come with them. And so mm -hmm. they're here, but it's all like older, you know, cis men who are kind of giving them cut eye. And, and I just like was so, I like went into the back room and I cry about everything. And I went to the back room and Brooke was like, like, I feel all the feelings that like professional Brooke in professional mode isn't feeling. Um, and she was like, oh God, what now? I, I see the misty eyes, what happened? And I was like, this is just beautiful. Like, I was like, oh my God, like this is, it, it, had I walked into my first drag show and seen that, yeah, I never would have stepped out of it the two or three times I actually did after my first couple exposures, because that was, that was not a thing. And I only started drag seven years, not even seven years ago. Then that is wild to me. That to me is, and it's not that, you know, cis male fans are bad and it's not that the rest of the fans are bad. It's not that it's just that there's been this shift. And I think that that's the part where I see things getting better and kinder and 
and more inclusive in ways that previously were definitely not non-existent, but lacking and resulted in a lot of the experiences. I don't think a lot of the experiences we had with backlash and, and harassment and stalking and, and all of this kind of stuff would have resulted had we been starting now. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's huge and I think there's still a long way to go. And I think the fan base is still fucking racist, but, um, I, I don't know. It's a glimmer of hope. I guess There is a glimmer of hope. And and I, I, I really do hope a lot of people listen to what you just said and, and take it all in because it is very, very important. And your experience is incredibly valid and, and truthful to so many people. So I hope people listen to that and, and understand there is hope and it can mm-hmm. get better, but we got to work together to make it happen. Completely. And it's, and like, it's uncomfortable and yeah. it's, it's exhausting. And like, you do have to do the work. Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the Vixen is a great example. She's been yeah. putting the work in for black Queens and talking about the way that they are treated and the way that like she's policed for reacting rather than the people who are treating her in the way that makes her have to react that right. way. And she's been screaming about it for years. This is not new, but she cons- continues to put the work in and she's not the only one, but she's just so, so eloquently vocal about what she's been through and how she sees it and yeah. where she sees the holes. And I really value and appreciate that. I, and also like, it takes guts to stand up and say that kind of stuff. I mean, even in our experience, like I've stood up for myself and dragging them and like, I literally two weeks ago, I stood up for a friend and we got nailed to the wall for, for, I was sent death threats for two days afterwards. Like it, it's a, it's a thing that happens to everybody who is not a very particular pigeonhole. Yeah. And I, and I love that people speak up about it and I do not think it's whiny and I do not think it's entitled. And I do not think that they should be told to be quiet or that they are being ungrateful if they talk about the bad stuff sometimes, because of course they're grateful for the good stuff. We all are. And the good stuff far outweighs the bad. Otherwise, like literally we wouldn't fucking be here and drag wouldn't be this podcast. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So we love to do this on the podcast. It is now time for you to share some stories as we're going to play tea time. So you're going to okay. spill some tea on some of your favorite people, friends, okay. people you've taken a photo with, people you've shared a dressing room with. I don't know. Maybe love. you love them. Maybe you hate them. But we, love. I, I'm sure you got millions of stories about some of these people. So let's hear <laughs> this some. This is going to get me in trouble. Well, let me keep them quick and don't, don't, <laughs> don't spill all the tea. Um, we're going to start off with someone we discussed already, Chiffon Dior. Chiffon Dior is so phenomenal. Every time we go there and stay at her house, um, she sleeps on the couch and gives us her big bed and Aww. she makes us a full dinner. Um, and sometimes when it's not even me and Jamie and we're not even in town for drag things. One time my mom and I just went to New York to go to New York because I hadn't, again, my mom's long distance and I haven't seen mm-hmm. her or I hadn't seen her in a while. And Chiffon drove into the city. It took her like four hours because of traffic. And she met us and took us to like this lovely little cupcake shop and like treated us, treated us to cupcakes. And it was like the best afternoon ever. I love that. Yeah. Next up, Gilda Wabbit. Oh my God. I love Gilda. Gilda knows that I hate and despise ketchup and I'm disgusted by it. It literally is one of the only foods I will not touch. It makes me, the smell of it makes me gag. I'm really smell sensitive and it's such a strong smell. It literally like immediately makes my stomach heave. And Gilda (laughs) got a hold of this information and like a true sibling. um, We went to a whole show that night that was like a Gilda Wabbit review and it was in Columbus, Mm -hmm. Ohio with a a bunch of mutual friends and other performers. And, but she was like the big guest, which was so exciting. Um, And she did an entire number and she, I 
fucking blank. I blocked out what the song even was because I was so disgusted. She literally <laughs> got ketchup packets and got like pack like the bottles of ketchup and spent the whole number squeezing them into her mouth and swallowing it over and over. It was disgusting. It was hilarious. The video is chaos. Oh um, and then at the end she came up and she was like, Hey, like that one number was for you. Can I have a hog? And I was like, don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> That's Which funny. is all very Gilda. Next up is Poppy Fields. Oh my God. I love Poppy. She is one of, one of my mom's favorite drag queens. Um, we were in LA once and we were at precinct Mm-hmm. And Jamie and I were there and we weren't drinking and we were going to video. They were lovely and kind and let us sort of stand on the edge of the DJ booth because we we're like short and we were trying to video the stage. And I went to get us water and I went to the bar and this, this man was not trying to be obnoxious, but he was wasted and he was this big, tall, bulky guy. And I was kind of wedged in by the wall, trying to get the bartender's attention to be like, please can I just buy a bottle of water? It was a drag con weekend. So we were exhausted yeah. and malnourished. Um, and this guy kept bumping me, just, just flattening me against the wall, just like a cartoon, like squish. And I, and he didn't mean it. And he kept going, oh, sorry, babe. Sorry, babe. And I was so tired. And all of a sudden this like well-manicured hand comes out of nowhere, just between me and this guy. And just in this like almost Southern sounding drawl, super classy, just goes, hello, sir. I just need you to move. And just like, just, <laughs> just so politely and just like guides with a light touch. And I look up and out of drag, dressed in a fully coordinating look and looking wonderful is just Poppy Fields. And I was like, oh my God. Like, and, it was, and it was like, I can't remember if we had met before that. I think we had very briefly, but like a long time before. And she just came over and just like, hadn't realized who I was, just saw like girl being squished and came mm-hmm. over and helped and then realized who I was and just started screaming. And it was just the best. I literally texted Shafan. It was like, I had just had the most wonderful reunion with Bobby Fields. Like, and she was just <laughs> so immediately full on with like the descriptive flowery compliments and like, oh, she's just so much fun. I loved it. Next, Boa. Boa. Oh my God, I love Boa. <laughs> We, so we've known Boa forever. We've known Boa since before Boa did drag because Boa was a really big Lady Gaga fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we knew her through that. And then we kind of like lost contact because again, I didn't live in Toronto and then I moved there and we all got into drag and we like knew Boa again. And then we started traveling a whole bunch. And I remember one time when we were friends, but like I hadn't talked to her in a couple months and like hadn't seen her around. And, um, and Boa texted me and was like, hey, I'm looking, I want to do a number and I don't know if you're in town. I don't know if you can help me. Don't worry about it. I want to do a number where I am a parrot and someone told me you you have a parrot costume. And I was like, yeah, I do. It's stupid and homemade. And like my mom and I made it. And it's like from when I was like 15, but I, I have it like, but I'm not home. I'm in like, I don't know, Chicago. She was like, okay, don't worry about it. And I was like, okay. And then she texts me again and she's like, what if I coordinated with your roommate to get in and like, would you trust me finding the parrot costume, trying on the parrot costume and potentially borrowing the parrot costume? And I was like, totally, here's his number. I don't care. Sorry, babe. I'm really busy. Like do whatever you want. You have full permission to like go in my closet, borrow whatever you need. Just bring it back in same condition. Don't care. Whatever. She was like, excellent. I don't hear from her again. I find out later she, she, came over. She apparently made it was like, so kind to my roommate was like, so polite, so organized, showed up on the dot of when he needed her to meet him before work, 
very like he my roommate was like she literally like anything she took out she like smoothed it on the hanger and put it back in like she <laughs> like was very respectful to my things when it wasn't even there and like so she takes the para costume has it for however long returns it without me having to heckle her or ask her for it brings it back she didn't even end up using it it didn't fit um and she brings it back to me and I like take the bag off and she had like this thing was like mangled it was an old Halloween costume it was like not amazing she had like brushed the feathers for me like they they were all suddenly they had feathers going out from the chest from like a zipper like outwards and they were all sitting way nicer than when I had like last seen it and like she didn't even use it and I just thought that was so such a boa experience to like have this ridiculous request and be like babe can I raid your closet when you're at home and then you get it back and like she's actually been like really sweet and like it's even better condition that's amazing that so cute like, she's so nice. yeah next up juice box oh my god I love juice box so much I <laughs> I used to go to juice boxes um viewing parties with Scarlett Bobo and juice box would check every week if I was coming and I was like, oh my gosh, she likes me so much, which is so nice because I like her so much. And like, we're the best. I've just moved to Toronto. I was like, we're the best of friends. And I would come and it was, I forget what season it was. It was one of the first seasons where we had known people beforehand. And then we were, and we were friends with them mm-hmm. when they were just working locally. And then they got on, it must've been eight, maybe. And then they got on Drag Race. And I was so riddled with anxiety over these people because it was so I'd never had that before I couldn't believe people we knew were like on this show like they anytime they cried I would cry like I was Mm -hmm. so overly way too close to the sun so overly invested so silly but it just meant so much to see them like succeeding at like the top at like the Olympics of drag like I was so excited and juice box the reason she'd check if I was going to come every week is because at the end of like the season she had a series of pictures of me taken <laughs> zoomed in from across the bar crying <laughs> and she started like posting them on Instagram stories and Snapchat being like I love it when Courtney comes to our bar our party oh my god and, and she'd like zoom it like slow motion video zooming in on my face <laughs> as I sat there alone crying like uh, and she's been making fun of me as such ever since for our, our beautiful, however many year friendship. Love that. Now you, you've spoken a lot about Brooklyn Heights, but I'm sure there is something juicy that no one knows about Brooklyn. Juicy. <laughs> Honestly, she's a pretty open book. Like she's, people always think she's so scary and intimidating because she's like stoic. And like when she goes into business mode, when she's like about to perform, it's like the Terminator mask comes down <laughs> and she's just, she's fucking ready. She's the drag robot. She's a million miles tall. She's gorge. Like, and people are terrified, but she's actually like the biggest nerd. Like she's the biggest nerd. Like she's silly and she's like way more fun than people think that she's not that people don't think she's fun but people always yeah. think she's this serious like glamorous like she's such a dork and I, honestly like I don't know I don't even really know how we became friends <laughs> because we we met at a party in LA and she'd already left Toronto, but I had just moved to Toronto and I had been trying to see her live. And every time she was supposed to come back and perform, it was within the like green, there's like a 90 day period where if you leave the country, your green card gets, um, it's like in processing. So it mm-hmm. like, gets void or something. Weird. So all the shows I was supposed to see her, I got canceled and like, I never ended up seeing. And I was like, but I used to be a dancer. So I was like, she's this dancer. She's amazing. I just want to be yeah. so bad. And we literally like you know, ran circles around these various shared scenes and never ran into each other for like the whole year that I lived there first. And we met in LA 
it was at the Y drag book premiere party at the Abbey and she'd been drinking. She was in the book and I saw her across the room and I was like, Oh my God, Jamie Brooklyn Heights is here. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm so excited. I'm so scared to talk to her. She's so scary. And Jamie was like, yeah, whatever. I'm not that invested. Like, which is very, they're, they're like cousins who like fight all the time and I just, like, <laughs> separate them. Uh, and it's 99% of the time hilarious. And 1% I'm like, I will don't make me stop this fucking car. I will slap you both. Like they're because they just argue all the time. Um, so that kind of set the tone for their relationship. She was like, yeah, whatever. We'll go talk to her later. Like I'm busy. And I was like, oh, but I want to go say hi. Like, and so whatever, we go about our business. We're getting pictures. We're getting everybody to sign our book. And I get this tap on my shoulder and I turn around and I'm level with like Brooklyn Heights belly button. Cause she's like so fucking <laughs> tall. And I look up and she goes, hi. And she's like, doesn't say anything. And I'm like, hi, like, what's up like and so I'm like immediately nervous and dorky and she's like you're that uh that girl from Toronto and I was like yeah my name's Courtney nice to meet you and she was like yeah that girl with the drag blog and I was like yeah it's called drag coven and she was like hmm I've heard a lot about you uh and it's not all good and I'm like shitting myself I'm oh like, my god what because this is around the time that I had called out a community leader on her misogyny and I, mm-hmm. as a resulting I had been doxxed and stalked and yeah so all of that had happened and I'm like oh my god she hates me she hates me and she goes uh I hear you're really pissing everybody off and I was like yeah I guess so <laughs> what like what have you heard and I'm just terrified and Jamie's silent Jamie's like oh my god and she goes, yeah, I have a lot of respect for that. You and I are going to get along really well. Want to take a picture with me? And I was like, yeah, I do. That's awesome. So, um, yeah. And then literally after that, like, I never gave her my phone number or anything. I don't know where she got it. She literally just started calling me. Oh, my God. And I was so thrilled. And we got along amazingly. And so we we had this, like, four-year friendship on the phone that, like, nobody really knew about because we were just, like, we didn't really interact online. And I never saw her because she lived in Nashville. And we just had, like, a full phone friendship and then when she got on drag race and started traveling more um we had gotten so incredibly close that uh yeah I ended up going and assisting her and um that's when she started eating all my food for like two years she's she's the raccoon of drag she will eat literally fucking anything she will eat all of it and I don't often finish all my meals because I have like digestive issues and I'm always nauseous and so Brooke will like open a menu and like order what she wants and then be like hmm such and such dish. Courtney, you like that, right? You like really like that a lot. Do you want to order that? You should, it sounds really good. You should order that. And I'll be like, Brooke, oh my do you God. want me to order that? She goes, no, 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 no. Order whatever you want. But if you order that, like, like I'll, I'll treat you to dinner. I'm like, so I'll order the thing. I will eat mm-hmm. however many bites I can handle. And I like, I can feel her eyes boring into the back of my skull. And I have to be like, but if I say, why are you staring at my meal? She'll be like, no, no, no reason. I'm not, I don't want it. Like, but if I wait and then go, God, I'm so full that I don't want to waste this food. She'll be like, oh, babe, don't worry. I've got you. Like, do you want me to eat the rest of that? I'll, I'll handle it. We don't, there's no room for leftovers at the, at the Airbnb. And I'll be like, oh my God, thank you. <laughs> As though it was her idea. Yeah. I love that. What do you got on Scarlet Bobo? Oh my God. I love Scarlet Bobo so much. <laughs> when, okay. So when I, I am a cyclical storyteller. I'm so sorry. When when I say that I got to Toronto and we got contentious backlash and there were weird mm-hmm. things happening, Scarlet was like, like, you know, when like you have a small dog that is yapping and it's more effective for defending you than the big scary dog. That's like not brave. 
Mm-hmm. Scarlet is the small, feisty, like, we'll have your back for anything. Like, she's my angry chihuahua. Like, she's my, <laughs> she's my, like, like, drag sibling that, like, she'll say absolutely any joke she wants and just read my outfit or, like, whatever, make fun of me, tease me for anything. And then if anybody else says, oh, I don't like Courtney Conkers for this, Scarlet will be, like, say it to my fucking face and fucking fight you. Like, she's so phenomenal. We share drag children. Um, she... <laughs> We actually, our friendship started with her messaging me out of nowhere before we'd even met and being like, hey, do you hate me? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I don't know you well enough to hate you as far as I know. And she was like, oh, because I heard you did. Um, so then for like five minutes, I went, oh, well, then I hate her too. And then I realized that I didn't hear it from you and we've never met. So like, why the fuck would I hate you? And I was like, well, why the fuck would I hate you? And she was like, cool. So do you, and she literally was like, do you want to be friends? And I was like, Yes. And she went, great, let me know when you move here. And then I moved to Toronto and literally from like day one, she, I went out that night and she was like, oh my God, you're here. Excellent. And we were like inseparable friends for, for year, ever since, years after. Like she, I could go to any time I showed up in Toronto, I could be like, hey, I was only supposed to be here. She lives in Vancouver now, but mm-hmm. um, hey, I was only supposed to be here for, um, you know, a, a couple hours and I'm stranded and it would be easier to stay the night. And she'd be like, why are you asking me? Why didn't you just buzz in? Oh, yeah, sure. Right. Because like, if you, once you're Scarlett's friend, like you're her friend and she will yeah. like kill for you. Like, yeah. And finally we have to ask Jamie Queen West, what do you got? <laughs> um, I have never met a person as crafty and arbitrarily capable as Jamie. Mm-hmm. I have never met a person with so much, um, I don't even know how to describe it, like organized drive to get up and go and do the thing, but do it right now. Mm-hmm. Like you do not get to come up with an idea and express it to Jamie and then be like, yeah, anyways, that'd be cool. And then like sit on it and like never do it. Sure. Jamie will go, that's a good idea. And reach over and pull out a clipboard with 17 to-do lists <laughs> on it and probably some shopping lists and probably like people's measurements and be like, um, you know, what color would you like that in? And when should we do it? And you're like, oh, oh, we're doing this right now. I was kind of joking. And she's like, well, why would we not do it? And it's like, oh, you know what? You're right. Okay, cool. Like she's definitely um, like a get up, take action person. And I, I am not, not that kind of person, but I also deal with chronic migraines and have anxiety and, and, you know, uh, Jamie also copes with anxiety, but a completely different kind. Um, and so I get a lot of, I'll get like executive dysfunction and I'll second guess something 47 times before I finally take action and do it. Whereas Jamie is like, great. So you get started on that and I will do this part of it and we'll be done by tomorrow. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't even like, she's just so executive. Like she's ready to do the thing and make the plan happen. And that's amazing because between the two of us with my like communication and social and this and that, and like, I am very much that part of it. And Jamie's very much like the organization and the construction part of it and between the two of us like we literally have like a 50 50 division on like the the type of labor you're getting from drag coven yeah um and we cover completely different types and it matches really 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 well so she's but she can also um like teach herself i think any diy or craft thing that's cool like just from youtube i've never she's full on like sewing at the level of like certain like seamstresses i know and she that's literally incredible. Like, taught herself like last year just because <laughs> Nice. Yeah, it's wild. 
So we're going to do the pop five rapid fire. I'm going to give you a pop culture headline and you're going to be a word or phrase that you feel for it. Perfect. Number one, Tamisha Iman is coming for Monet. Yikes. Yeah, major yikes. <laughs> Canada Prime Minister Justin Trudeau causes stir with COVID shot. Uh, the first thing that popped in my mind was our fucking provincial leader, Doug Ford, and how he's an idiot and he keeps blaming everything on Justin Trudeau when it's actually within his power and he's dropping the ball and I hate him. There you go. That's more than one word, but fuck Doug Ford. Disneyland reopens Snow White ride with Prince Charming Kiss. COVID. What do you mean? Who's he kissing and why? Well, people, people are upset because it's a non-consensual kiss and mm. Snow White. If it's... It, mm. <laughs> right? wait what <laughs> because, because she's asleep and how dare he oh he's kiss kissing her, her. Yeah. oh i i don't know because it wasn't in the ride was. yeah it wasn't oh, in the ride now yeah. it's in the ride and people are freaking out about it um i think that as long as we all have conversations about consent in our own lives and in real life and that the little kids looking at that know that one should not just up and kiss random unconscious people and you should ask first i think um I don't think the ride is a problem. I think you having to talk to your kids is the is that's the, it. Yeah. Number four is Dragula ups their prize to a hundred thousand dollars for season four. Fuck yeah, they did. Get it. I know a lot of people who are suddenly gonna be spooky queens that weren't before, but you know what? If I get to see more drag, fuck it, who cares? And finally, Camp Wanakiki, season three. Stan Gilda Wabbit. Yeah. Um Gilda just obviously came out with her statement on the drama of I the season. Saw. Yes. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. I would, I, I, I know that it's not exclusive to drag or the queer community at all as evidenced by, I don't know the entire era of me too. Um, but I do wish that we could live in a society in which every creative thing that people are trying to seek joy in at a time when the world is in fucking dumpster fire is ruined by the harmful actions of a few uh, who did not think and did not seek consent and caused harm at will. Uh, and I just would like to, you know, I would like to stop having my friends have to navigate. I'm glad they do. And I think they have the responsibility as involved parties with whatever the associated cord is be it a mm -hmm. show or a friendship or whatever. Um, but I think it's a shame. I think it's a yeah. shame that we can't just, as a community, create things and enjoy things without them being marred by the harmful actions of others and the lies therein. Yeah, well said. Yeah. So I have my previous guest ask my current guest a question, and this is a question Ew. from Blake Deadly. Ugh. What would you quit your job for? I already quit my job for drag ones. Yeah. And when I have, I have two, um, I have two remote jobs currently. And when the world, if the world ever, I do live in Ontario. So yikes, we might be here forever, but when the world reopens and tours resume, I already have tour jobs lined up that if the current flexible remote jobs don't work with it, I will once again, quit my job for drag. <laughs> nice. Well, now yeah. it's your turn to ask my next guest a question. Ooh. It can be about anything you want. I would like anything I want. Oh, God. I would like to know 
this is such a cliche question, but it's my favorite. And I want to know it about everyone I meet. What her first song and performance and concept and outfit was and the context in which she performed. All right. Because I love seeing how far people have come with their drag. I love it. Well, I like to expand the community. Who would you like to hear a future interview on Block Talk from? Oh my God. I could, I swear I could send you a list. Yeah, I'll take a list. I'll always take a list. I would like to hear from, um, I will literally send you a list. I was <laughs> I'm here for it. Amazing. I love that we're not joking. Um, I would like to hear from in, in Toronto, a Canadian drag artist. Their name is Lucinda Mew. Okay. And Lucinda is not only very well known for the quality of drag being produced in Lucinda's own career, but also as a seamstress. I remember the name from many designs on uh, on Canada's Drag Race, Race yes. on Lucinda Mew's Drag Race. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. um, Lucinda Mew is basically like I feel like the the level at which she probably has demand coming her way, which I hope is not overwhelming, but I also like absolutely wish for her in terms of like work supply and get that bag is uh, like comparable to like when the years when like every single queen's outfit every single week on the runway was Lady High. Yeah. was Dallas Coulter. Um, I feel like Lucinda could be like our Canadian Dallas Coulter um, because her her designs are just wonderful. Uh, I've heard she's super collaborative to work with. Um, I think it speaks a lot to like the, her work ethic and quality of character and um, just the kind of person she is that she can do top-notch drag of her own. Mm-hmm. Then she's, she's also an actor uh, who frequently is going to auditions. I see her post about them and she's always preparing and, and she's just really theatrical and really wonderful. She's a phenomenal performer. Um, and then also be a designer in that high demand when, when you've got a fresh new demand for what it is you're providing because of the new franchise or the branch or whatever. Um, and then on top of it, like she's a really lovely person. um, she's got like a drag house in Toronto and they're always putting on really cool fucking shows. Um, they're called the diet ghosts and they're all wonderful. And I'd recommend having all the diet ghosts on, but maybe not as a group because I feel like it would be chaos, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I just think that Lucinda, like you can be that busy in between all of that. And then every time I see you, you're always fucking lovely. Like that takes a lot of work. So I would say, I feel like she just would have like, cool shit to tell you i don't know nice i'm here for it well where can we find you on social media and in the the apps that give you money where can we find you there (laughs) i do have cameo uh however Mm -hmm. again like i said um my wigs are currently packed in a duffel bag and i've been too sad to unpack them so like do with that information what you will um i my cameras are like 15 bucks um our paypal is drag coven paypal.me slash drag coven um you are not obligated to randomly tip us but i mean if you feel like it that's what it is uh because venmo and cash app don't exist in canada um we have a drag coven patreon uh we're in a little bit of a content drought and i'm so sorry and we're trying but i am in full fucking lockdown in a high-risk household with my 85 year old grandparents as an immunocompromised person so i can't leave my house because we're all also still unvaccinated so maybe like subscribe to our patreon like later because there yeah. will be content, I swear, and it's good. And you get early access and whatever. I don't know, treats. It's so fucking cheap. Um, and then as the rest of my social media is all just Courtney Conker. And without the S, because I, they wouldn't give me the characters. I don't know why. <laughs> well, it was such a delight chatting with you. 
Thank you so much. It was so lovely. Every time I come on here, it is lovely. I hope you're doing well. Hopefully we'll be in New York at some point. Yes, hopefully soon. See you as a real person. A huge thanks to Courtney for chatting. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and leave us a review while you're there. Make sure you engage with me on social media. Tell me what your favorite episode has been. If you have any questions or comments, drop me a line at theaterthenow.com via our question link. Like, listen, love. Until next time, I'm Michael Block, and that was Block Talk. Mm -hmm.